Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that is also surprised Tracy Letts' character was real. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my perfect three-and-a-quarter star review, Chris File. Hello, Chris. <laughs> Just uh, imagining, what was it, Vince McMahon? Is it whatever, the Star Search guys. Three-and-a-quarter stars! Ed McMahon. Very big difference Ed between Ed McMahon and Vince McMahon right now. You don't want to confuse the two. The young, the young singer, Britney Spears. The judges say three-and-three-quarter <laughs> three stars. Three-and-a-quarter stars! Yeah, yeah. Uh, the three and a quarter stars, little aside in this movie, one of the few things that I feel like was fully successful uh, in this movie, and that like it's a good observation. It's made with you know um, some humor to it. It informs the character's worldview. You're in and you're out, and you're whatever. I think it's a small little oasis in a movie that where not a lot goes right. I would say, and we'll get into it. Um, I mostly I like just wanted part. to sit James L. Brooks down and be like, okay, so which review of As Good As It Gets hurt you? Uh, <laughs> which which review, who was the critic that informed this whole uh, film for you? I, alf- I wonder if it even goes back further than that and is more like a Mary Tyler Moore show thing, because it's the kind of thing that he, the way he talks about it is the way that you would talk about a TV show getting reviewed, an ongoing thing where like, mm-hmm. now that this has gotten a four star review, everyone's going to be expecting a lot of it. Your, you know, your audience is going to get more mainstream and, and, you know, dumbed down maybe. And, and, but, um, but also Mary Tyler Moore was a main mainstream show. It wasn't this sort of like fine dining, you know. Well, at that time, know. there wasn't exactly niche television. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly right. Um, we'll talk James about L. Brooks the, has the... also never really made niche movies. You know, they no, they were attempted that's monoculture. The, that's the that's the beauty of it. It was like it was high quality monoculture. Like that's the you know that's you know even like you know The Simpsons. You know what I mean? That he mm-hmm. produces like it's high quality monoculture in a way that we just it's so rare to have it's basically we're down to that's literally like hbo sunday nights you know what i mean that's the only really high quality monoculture we have anymore um but anyway welcome uh back to this had oscar buzz we are um out of our patreon month and a half of uh patreon selected movies we had a really really great time i will say though i'm bad i'm glad to be back making our own decisions again even though we certainly can't be trusted to make decisions if if we're going by this week's movie but um well i'm excited to talk about it uh, this movie i was like we need 
to do a big title that feels yeah. like why haven't we done that yet? Yep. And yep. Spanglish yep. was the first one that came to mind. Yep. No, it's it's a perfect it it's this is one of these movies that absolutely perfectly encapsulates the idea for this podcast, which is it made all the sense in the world that this movie was had, you know, everybody looking at it and saying Oscar movie because James L. Brooks's track record, which we will absolutely get into, was pretty much pristine. Uh, Adam Sandler was exactly at the point in his career where you could see him getting an Oscar nomination. Um, you had factors like, you know, Cloris Leachman, former winner, and she's never been nominated again. You had the, um, you know, the the ability to sort of like discover a new star in Paz Vega. And so there's so many possibilities so much possibility in this movie and then it really spectacularly crashes and burns there were critics who liked this movie i was sort of going through the reviews ebert gave it three stars wesley morris really liked it i went back um whenever you try and click on uh in rotten tomatoes like a wesley morris review and it says go to here for a review and every time i do it i'm like fucking charlie brown with the football you yeah. click on it and it's a 404. You know what I mean? So it's just like, then you got to track it down. And what I managed to track down instead of the review was he was on the Slate Movie Club that year. The 2004 mm. lineup for the Slate Movie Club was kind of off the hook. So David Edelstein was running it for Slate at this moment. Um, A.O. Scott, Stephanie Zaharik, Scott Foundus, Wesley Morris, Charles Taylor, I want to say, and then Armand White. So, uh, the, <laughs> there you go. the fireworks were fireworksing, um, at the Slate Movie Club that year. But anyway, this was uh, also Wesley a Morris... December release, and this is in yeah. that notorious best picture winning run of movies that all premiered in December, you know, not at a festival, et cetera. Right. This was the million dollar baby year, which was like the latest of latecomers. Mm -hmm. um, but this was one of the movies, if you look at like the, the aviator was obviously the big movie that everybody looked at as being an Oscar contender for Scorsese because it was coming right after gangs of New York. And just at a point where everybody was like, gotta get Scorsese an Oscar. But I think beyond, behind that, I think the the one of I don't think Spanglish is too far down the list in terms of if you had to name ten movies that spring in two thousand four that are going to contend for Oscars, I think Spanglish would have been very very close to the top of that list. Oh, absolutely. So, um, interesting to see how that all shook out. Um, and we'll definitely talk about that Oscar race. But uh, Chris, before we get too far into it. Do you want to let our listeners know why they should be subscribing to our Patreon? Uh, because we have a great time over on our Patreon. We're calling it This Had Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance. For $5 a month, uh, you're going to get at least two bonus episodes, the first of which comes the first of the month. We call those exceptions. This is uh, an episode devoted to movies uh, that fit the This Had Oscar Buzz rubric, but managed to score a few nominations or two. Uh, most recently, we will have done, gosh, I can't even Barney's version where we are in the calendar anymore. Yeah, it'll the most recent uh, exceptions will be Barney's version. Oh, uh, Barney, right, Barney's version. <laughs> We're also packing up a bunch of uh recording right in a week so i'm like wait have we recorded that what's what's not? going on what's real uh, what's happening yeah barney's version the paul giamatti starring golden globe winning makeup nominated 
forgotten awards bait film from Canada. We've yeah. also talked about movies like Nine, Pleasantville, Australia, The Lovely Bones. We're going to be having a listener's choice coming up soon, which uh, our listeners, given a lot of previous options that they almost picked and then again, almost picked them. Instead, they have chosen (laughs) Molly's Game. So in a few weeks, if you want to hear us talk about Molly's Game, you can sign up. Also, on the 15th of every month, we have what we call excursions. These are deep dives into awards bait uh, ephemera that we obsess about on this show, like Hollywood Reporter Roundtables. Just most recently, we did our own award show of sorts. I think we're going to be over on the Patreon, it'll be like our class of episodes here that are like our big shebang uh, at this stretch of the awards race. And uh, we did our own little awards ceremony where we doled out nominees for all of the weird categories you see throughout the season, like yeah. Best Grown-Up Love Story over at the Movies for Grown-Ups, uh, Best Kiss that you see at the MTV Movie Awards Rest in peace. We had a lot of um, honorary awards. We borrowed liberally from the Governor's Awards, I will say, this year. So (laughs) um, if you want to know who we would pick for the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award, please uh, sign up for this Head Oscar Bus Turbulent Brilliance and go listen to our Superlatives episode. I think our most unhinged episode ever, I would have to say. It was so much fun. I had such a good time, honestly. It was great. Listeners, we hope you loved it, too. Or if you're new to the Patreon... Uh, which you can be if you go over to patreon.com slash this had Oscar buzz. We hope you enjoy that episode and all episodes. Indeed. All right. So we are going to be talking about Spanglish this week. Um, I see no need to beat around the bush anymore unless we want to. Is there any more table setting we want to do before we get into um, what's going on here? I kind of don't think so. We're going to talk about the James L. Brooks of it all. We're going to talk about. Um, the cast. This was a what Columbia Pictures movie? Sure was. Which it's hard to talk about Columbia. Columbia does is a is a studio that has produced a lot of awards contenders and yet is not a mo- a studio that has an awards identity, I think, in our modern sort of it's not like uh Focus or Miramax or even something like a you know 20th Century Fox or something mm-hmm. like that, which um had a string of really big we should do an exceptions episode uh figuring out the distinctions between columbia pictures and tristar pictures like what makes a columbia movie what makes a tristar movie anything under that like sony umbrella too i find so anytime that i'm trying to do I'm, i'm currently trying to make my spreadsheet my year ahead spreadsheet that i put all the 2024 movies into and anytime something says just like production company sony and it's like you're going to have to be more specific, sir, because like, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know whether that means, you know, Columbia. I don't know whether that means like Sony pictures releasing. I don't know. There's, Aren't there there's, just there's like one. big Sony movies now that are neither Columbia? There are. There are. But a it's secret like, third the, option. The secret just third option Sony. we were not expecting. Yes. Um, I remember for whatever reason that TriStar logo was so imprinted on me and the one that i remember specifically is the tristar logo because that's the one with the pegasus horse yeah that comes jumping through the triangle and then they like freeze frame yeah in the 80s tristar. and 90s it was coming around a corner i remember this because it was not, when i was a really young child it scared me yes uh big... 
What's and the I other one that had the... that opening to look who's talking, which maybe that's not even correct in my brain. This is what I was just about to say. This is exactly what I was just about to say is I watched look who's talking eight billion times. And in the look who's talking TriStar logo, the horse, you hear the horse, the horse's inner monologue. <laughs> Where it's literally just like, yeah, here I go, and I'm gonna go, and it's just like, and it's, oh, and it's yeah. <laughs> because it's look who's talking, because you can hear the baby talk, and look who's, we gotta, I know look who's talking was not an Oscar buzzed movie. We need to find a way to talk about it anyway, because like that movie was weirdly like, talk about a movie that imprinted on you as a kid. Like there's so many things that I like learned about for the first time watching look who's talking. The whole insemination sequence, I had no idea what I was watching. And, and it's now not it's even kind just of disturbing that. that we as children watch not like I'm some prude here, but that we as children were watching an insemination sequence. We watched an egg getting fertilized on screen, but also like it's even beyond that, it's like you learn about artificial insemination and you learned about like um epidurals and you learn diaphragms. about diaphragms you learn about um women's uh women's breasts getting bigger after they uh give birth because they're nursing you learn about bulimia remember that like george yeah. siegel's unseen wife in that movie is a bulimic and i remember being like what's a bulimic <laughs> um because i'm watching this when i'm 11 you know what i mean so like there's so 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 many things and uh I have no outlet to talk about it. And um, that era of Columbia where it's, you know, what is it that like 80s and 90s Columbia TriStar, it was a dark background, like it's the yes. middle of the night or at dusk yes. or yes. at the break And at of some day. point, Pegasus and started then, running through Heavenly Cloud. Right. And then the 90s, it's yeah. the sun is out. It's a cloudy yeah. day, but it's still beautiful. Beautiful white Annette Benning is holding clouds. a torch. 100%. Absolutely. And now I... the Pegasus looks like something from AI hell. <laughs> Have you seen the latest TriStar logo? I haven't. Should I bring it up right now and give you a, a live uh, oh. a live reaction? It, it, it genuinely looks like AI horse. Like... Yeah, it is sort of like everything's very dark and this sort of like light is piercing through the clouds. Is that what you're talking about? No, just the horse looks so bad. It just looks well, so bad. Yes, the horse definitely does look so bad. Yeah. Oh, TriStar. What have you done? TriStar, fix it. Like, What have you done with my TriStar? Um, anyway, Justice for the Who's Talking. Okay, so remember how I said... 17 minutes ago that we shouldn't <laughs> that we will just get right into the movie and then we yeah, immediately derail into columbia tristar we logos lie we are liars uh we are going to be talking about spanglish though the 2004 film directed by james l brooks also written by james l brooks starring paz vega adam sandler taya leone cloris leachman sarah Steele, others um it premiered multiple children multiple children lots of children uh, premiered December 17th. I actually should say who played the uh, Paz Vega's daughter, because she was actually very good. Um, her name was Shelby Bruce. Yeah. Good for her. She was great. Um, Thomas Hayden Church cameo. Thomas Hayden Church, that's true, is the uh, uh, the infidelity bait. Uh, premiered December 17th, 2004. No festivals, no nothing. It's James L. Brooks. He's coming at you with the with the slow verse, and um, I don't know. That's all it, Chris. You have sixty yeah. seconds. 
are you ready, as soon as I pull up my stopwatch, to do the 60-second plot description of Spanglish? As ready as I'll ever be for Spanglish. All right, and you can begin now. All right, so we meet a mother-daughter, Flor and Christina. Uh, They come to America, and... uh, Florida gets set up with uh, a local friend who sets uh, her up with the Klaskis. Uh, they are uh, a home that, uh, that oh God, how do I even get into this? Deborah <laughs> is the mother. She is very eccentric and neurotic and uh, kind of a mess because uh, she was raised by her very alcoholic uh, mother. And John is a very, very fancy uh, chef, basically, who is getting the uh, career-changing review, etc., and he goes into a whole existential crisis about it. Meanwhile, uh, Deborah really ingratiates herself onto Flor and forces Flor to basically spend the summer in Malibu with them, and she has to bring her daughter Christina. Christina gets, uh, you know, ingrained with the family as well, because they have children of the similar age, and Deborah oversteps her bounds quite a bit in that she, well, both of them do, because Deborah uh, sets her up with a scholarship at this private school against, uh, you know, without even asking Flor, basically, and then John does this whole thing with sea glass and says that he'll pay all the kids for it and then you know christina goes and gets a bunch of sea glass and this this all creates uh, strife meanwhile deborah is uh having an affair and going through an existential crisis about that and john and flor have a flirtation basically and uh you know deborah reveals that she's had this affair and then john's like well i'm gonna show you and he goes and takes Flor to his restaurant and makes asparagus for her and she thinks that it's amazing etc uh they decide that they basically can't be together and then the next day Flor quits her job and brings Christina with her and the whole time Christina has been narrating this as a Princeton essay and she you know uh, says I am my mother's daughter you want to guess how many seconds you went over a minute too many do you want to guess Imagine, you, want to, you want to ballpark uh, 90 because you Fif- were like 90 last 53 week. seconds over there we go. Full minutes. Almost almost two full minutes. And there was, was so there's more plot that you could get there into. Is, Imagine there is. a James L. Brooks movie being unnecessarily uh, plotty. Uh, pl- plotty. Not plotty. Here's the thing though, is if you think about a movie like Broadcast News. So the the, the Broadcast James News, L- I would argue, is not does not have that problem. But Broadcast News still has a lot of characters. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it knows exactly what to do with them. It knows exactly how to use them and how much to use them and and sort of where as good as it gets really only has four characters. Like the kid maybe, but like it's Jack Nicholson, Helen Hunt, Greg Kinnear, Shirley Knight. Shirley Knight. Like Cuba Gooding Jr is sort of like, you know, not really a character. All of those other characters, it kind of drops them after the first hour. Yeah, and like, in, and you know what I mean? It's just like most people are there to like fill a plot function, Skeet Ulrich and, and Jamie Kennedy and whatnot. Um, Spanglish is convoluted on a character level because it's narrated by Christina, which makes you think that she is telling her mother's story throughout and it like preps it to, for her to tell her mother's story. But in mm-hmm. the end, it really becomes... Well, maybe not in the end. Throughout most of the movie, the good chunk of the movie is about the Klaskis. And you don't really ever get into Floor's head all that well until well, maybe that last three minutes of movie where 
yeah. the entire like recontextualization of the whole movie is this question she poses to her daughter of basically is all you want to make of yourself the opposite of me yes and essentially do you want do you want a life i can't give you or do you want to make of yourself uh the opposite of life as it's presented to you it seems to be existential question of the movie and it seems to be a very sort of like common you know it's a question for people who emigrate to a new country which Mm -hmm. is you bring your young child to this new country for a reason right you want them to have a better life however you want to define that and yet when they do sort of start moving towards this better life, there's anxiety that comes with that. There's, there's, you know, rejection that, that comes with that. Certainly that's the story that we're getting here. And it's not an unengaging story. It's not an uncompelling story. It just ends up, as you said, sort of like convoluted. The other thing is it's, I can forgive a movie for being, nonsensical in a way that doesn't matter which is to say the fact that like um christina in this movie is narrating this and yet like so you imagine like we're getting the story from her and yet how does she know who Taylioni's fucking on the side? You know what I mean? Right. Like, how does she know? Like, well, all this stuff Taylioni that's happening. Well, because is not quiet about anything that well, happens to her in this movie. Perhaps. Uh, but you know what I mean? It's just like she's why is Christina telling the story about, you know, the inner workings of the marriage of this, you know, couple that employed her mother at this very crucial time, but certainly. Um, well, but- and it's also the, like, the cringy optics of this movie that come up throughout in on a scene-by-scene basis. It also turns, like, the overarching theme of the movie into this, like... Mm-hmm. You know, it's told from Christina's perspective, but it's really about, it's like, it's all mm-hmm. serving these white characters. Like, I wouldn't say and, all, but it's know. certainly like serving the white characters a lot for a movie that doesn't seem to be, for a story that doesn't seem to be about them. If you're, if right. you're taking the point that the story is what Christina's writing in her college essay, that like, you know, obviously no sane person would write their college essay and like diverge this much into, like you know the the mother daughter relationship of Los Deborah people Deborah and her and her um and her mom but like so I think it's tough to say what because I don't even know if the stuff between uh, Flor and Christina works all that well there are parts that does but like. I think the girl who plays Christine is really good. I think Paz Vega is sort of spotty in this movie. You know what I mean? I think she has her moments. I think there are times when I would like more from it. I think it this movie asks a lot of the the chemistry between Adam Sandler and Paz Vega, which is like non-existent. There, it, it, it's 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 there on paper. You know what I mean? It's like a very like on paper kind of a thing. As, like, a math thing. Like, it's supposed to work on a structural level for the script. So it's, like, it's, you know, the barrier to entry is low, I guess. is. Kind I of think if this is a story about Adam Sandler as a person with a family and he doesn't really know where that's going and also has this, like, culinary career 
that he both is proud of and is afraid of. You know what I mean? Maybe that's an interesting movie, but like adding this other element to it doesn't really work. It does feel sometimes that this is two movies that sort of got shoved together. But I think the thing that most kills this movie for me is it is asking for far more than Taya Leone is able to deliver from that character. That is an impossible character. And I could see where there are certain actresses who could have pulled it off. And I don't think it's saying anything terribly bad about Taya Leone to say that she can't. She really does go for it. I don't think it's her fault. Just like I don't think it's Paz Vega's fault when Floor is not very interesting. Because, like, everybody is committing to what they're given to do. Even Sandler. And I think pretty much everyone's miscast. Few people have chemistry. And then you have Taya Leone, who's like, being a very committed performer. With she's, what she's going asked for to too do. much, though. She's doing too much. I think. But like, how much of that is on the page? Like, I don't know. Like, I think there's a lot of it is on the page. I think a lot of it's on the page. It's much. asking a lot of her, but she's also bad. You know what I mean? Like, I I think both things can be true. I think it is Fair. one of the most loathsome characters I've ever seen in a movie in a while. Certainly in a in a in a comedy in a light you know a movie that's supposed to be sort of like lighthearted ha 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 she's so incredibly very very not uncomfortable like this type of thing doesn't make me feel uncomfortable Uh but it felt very strange that i was asked to laugh at this woman who i found very very sad like sad yes but also like she's not she doesn't have bad intentions, but she also, like, absolutely refuses to learn from anything. She absolutely refuses to take in what people are, like, often explicitly telling her. When, like, Floor is like, stop fucking messing with my kid. And she's like, okay, except for the part where I'm going to enroll her in private school. It's just like, it's not like she's not picking up signals. There's a little bit at the beginning where it's just like, oh my God, she does not know how to read a room. She does not know how to pick up signals. But like, eventually she just starts like openly defying everybody in her life. She starts, you know, between buying the, the size too small for her daughter between, you know, just defying floor at all times and it's all so and it's being sold to us a little bit as isn't this frazzled woman just uh you know isn't she i feel like it's asking us to relate to her and just being like well wouldn't you be frazzled if you had to live in this crazy world where you know you can't communicate with your housekeeper and you, you know, it's there's not a there's, lot of recognizable human behavior, oh, or recognizable human oh. impulse. And like, I just for especially coming from James L. Brooks, who like finds relatable, yeah. uh, you know, recognizably human bad behavior in a lot of his characters. Yeah, it feels like one of his, you know biggest failures on a character level do we know what she does for a living uh they say at the beginning when floor's being interviewed that she 
worked for some company i think that went under and now she is a homekeeper and clearly is not very good at it well she's so type a right and it's like but you would think that they would make her sort of focused on her business so i guess the idea is she's this incredibly type a person who has nowhere to put that energy so now she has to put it into her home with disastrous results but like the movie doesn't really do a great job of explaining that or like or 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 you know, showing you that specifically. So she just sort of comes off as this in all directions, just fireworks display of terrible personality, you know, quirks where she's, Flora's trying to tell her how to pronounce her name. And she's just like doubling down on just saying it louder, which is a thing that like, obviously like this is telegraphing this like out of touch white woman. I get it. But, um, but it's... also everybody at that table cheers for her when she does get it right. So she <laughs> is a she is a character who on top of being loudly wrong a lot of the time and making a show of herself also gets congra- congratulated regularly for doing the least, you know. Sure. But also but like yes, that is true, but it's also like her daughter is like openly cringing at her at all times and her mother eventually is like that line she has that very james l brooksy line where she's like lately your low self-esteem is just good common sense <laughs> it's just like <laughs> which is kind of devastating um but like nobody seems to be doing be working very hard to hide their displeasure with her and for good reason i would say i think if the idea at the end of the movie is that she and Sandler are getting back together, I would say reconsider. I yeah, think this is not... one of the this is one of these situations where like he now finding out that she's been cheating on him has the uh, he has the out that I think he's he maybe needs to take. Whether you know, I think it's good that he and Floor don't get together by the end of this because like that's not a good idea. But like he should get divorced. Like this is. They're, I mean, they're both a mess. Like, this is, it's not just Deborah's character that makes me feel like this movie thinks this whole scenario is funnier than it actually is. And it's actually yeah. a very, like, sad, kind of depressing movie. It, it, you get it with a lot with him because you, we could talk about the mother daughter relationship between Tay Leone and Cloris Leachman, too, and how the mm-hmm. movie's, like, I think one of its biggest failures is. It can't successfully mirror them to Floor and Christina mm-hmm. as it so evidently wants to and yeah. wants to yes. be a lot of the foundation for that final scene. Yes. The stuff with Sandler's character also has this idea of running away from the cards you've been dealt or running mm-hmm. away from the life you actually have because he yeah. gets this incredibly successful review and can only think of how that's a horrible thing right and there's a way to do that that is relatable but i think uh, as james l brooks presents it in this movie it's just pathetic in a way that's never really funny never really quirky or idiosyncratic and it's just this sad guy whose life is falling apart. I just think it's a movie that fails to calibrate itself constantly, where yeah. you get to the stuff early on with um, Deborah buys the, the as I said, the clothes for Bernie, her daughter, Sarah Steele. Um, 
and they're size too small and should there's intentionally size too small because she wants them to inspire her to to lose that weight despicable. and pick it down a size despicable it's awful and it happens in front of both adam sandler and Paz vega like Paz vega does not leave the room which i think that's one thing where it's just like she's not perfect because like any sensible person would realize this is like this family moment and just like just fucking leave the room like you know yeah, what i mean yeah, yeah. but anyway um and then sarah Steele sort of locks herself in the bathroom and while she does Taylioni and Adam Sandler have this argument, or so she carries on her half of the argument, which is, you have to be with me on this. We have to be a united front. And the scene before that, where like you almost understood where she's like, You're the good guy, I'm the bad guy. And um, of course she says it while she's like sobbing, and it's supposed to be like, ha ha ha, you know, Holly Hunter breaking down in tears and broadcast news, but like it's not. Anytime Taylioni yeah. starts crying in this movie, it's like the most repellent thing ever. But anyway. I, I hear you on saying well, well, that. I give me a second. Okay. Um because the the argument that they have about like you have to let's we have to be a united front is the point where I'm like in my perspective with Adam Sandler, I'm like, no, you need to protect your daughter from yeah. this woman who is 100%. harming her and i don't care if she's your wife i don't care if she's her mother like you have to like job one is not being on the same page with your wife job one is protecting your daughter from this person who is like fucking her up right now and and i think the movie doesn't quite understand the the urgency of that the movie just sort of sees this as bad mother shit that can be sort of you know you can have a laugh with you can have sort of a a rueful, you know, serial comic laugh with. And it's too much. It's too much. It's too awful. It's too mean. And she's not likable enough to to give you that scene in a way where you're like, it's awful, but like, oh, Deborah doesn't know what she's doing. Where it's like she kind of does she seemingly does know what she's doing. And she consciously made specifically yeah. that choice. Yeah. Well But yes, it it I can agree that Taya Leone is bad while I don't fully think that it's her fault. She's doing what she's supposed to do. She's committing to this role and it's a horribly written role because like, I don't, it, that scene specifically makes you almost wish that this character was just meant to be a monster and not someone that we're supposed to, you know, understand Mm -hmm. just because like, it's almost a bridge too far for the movie and it's in, you know, the first reel. It's in like the first half hour of this movie. Yeah. This movie that has no business being over two hours long. Mm -hmm. Uh, Correct. But well, and I suppose it kind of goes back to this really weakly defined relationship between Deborah and her mother, played by Cor- Cloris Leachman, who it's just like, you were such a drunk and it ruined me. And there's that relationship never really feels defined other than Cloris Leachman is kooky drunk. Well, here's the thing. So Taylor bra- breaks out that line very late in the movie. The you were you were an alcoholic and wildly promiscuous, and that is why I'm in the state that I'm in right now. And that comes across to me, like we're we're told that that she's an alcoholic, that Evelyn Cloris Leachman character is an alcoholic, and yet we meet her with a martini glass in her hand at eleven a.m. You know, she's an alcoholic who isn't mean. She's not harming herself. She's not harming others. She's not falling down. She's not driving drunk. She's not like 
she's a weirdly like high functioning alcoholic and also like presents as a very loving character. She's very kind and loving to Flora and Christina. She's very kind and loving to Sandler and Sarah Steele. And so it's like, they even mention it later on in the movie where she's like, I haven't been drinking for a month, which kind of shows you how, you know, how well I'd been doing it, you know, beforehand. Mm-hmm. It's like, she's so high functioning as an alcoholic that when Taya Leone's like, this ruined my life, I'm like, this woman who's like, Right. nice and kind ruins your life like i don't buy it i'm sorry like well and like people change but like there's nothing in the script that says that you know she was doing things like Taya leone is doing to her daughter you almost right. dislike evelyn a little bit for not being the one to step up to her daughter and saying sure the way you're treating my granddaughter is not okay i love cloris leachman in this movie i think she's so um, she's the one person in this movie that I would like watch on purpose. You know what I mean? If I you think... don't have those cutaways to Cloris Leachman giving a funny face or saying three, but words she's not that mugging is the other thing. She's not doing like rap and granny mugging. You know what I mean? She's not being right. like one liner machine. She has these good sort of asides, but she's she's delivering them in a way that like doesn't feel sweaty and doesn't feel desperate, and she's just kind of delightful. And Whereas Taylioni is giving the sweatiest performance. Like literally and figuratively, yes, for real. Um and so when in the last you know, at this moment where you need this mother-daughter relationship to sort of bring this character back home, bring Deborah back home, it doesn't work because ultimately we are asked to be like, well, didn't Evelyn fuck her up? And it's like you you there's nothing for you to hold on to to buy that. And so you're right. Any attempt to then like compare that storyline to Floor and Christina is useless because fruitless. And all of this coming from the man who made maybe the greatest complicated mother daughter movie ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, it's like it can't even hold water. Uh, yeah. Chris put down that sea glass, that bucket of sea glass that you have, and uh, I'm invoicing you for six hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> um, no, we're going to talk about the Vulture Movie Fantasy League once again. We are coming at you as we speak. The Baftas are about to get underway, so we do not have Bafta results. By the time you listen to this, you will have Bafta results. We do not know who did the thing. This year, we don't know, um, you know, who's who's who represents all of us this year. We're going to find out who's hosting the BAFTAs. Uh, it's um, I guess Ariana DeBose didn't host them last year. That's my oh, it's David Tennant who's hosting them. She wasn't. I assume cool she was the host. She was. Uh, Did she just do that number? They just brought her on to do a number. Oh, isn't that crazy? No. Who was the host last that year? That makes the host? me feel worse. The hosts last year were Richard E. Grant and Allison Hammond. So, uh, yeah, they just brought her on to like do a do a, do a do a little dance, do a little do dance a thing, number. do a thing. In fact, Ariana DeBose really did the thing. Um, but anyway, I imagine they'll reference it in some way or another. 
Um, I don't know if the uh, maybe maybe the show. Well, I don't know. I don't know. The internet is doing lots of one year ago, blah blah blah, right now, well, and it's uh, it's it's truly wonderful. We should celebrate it. Though <laughs> all of the ones that I have seen, they have done the good thing in that they've put the ex- the full version, not just. That's the, the thing. I think so we, we are at the point that. now. A year later, we can we can put. Angela Bassett did the thing in its proper place in history while also mentioning uh, Carrie and Carrie with a C, which is like, that's your next level. The, your, your, um, you know, your other, the, all the other stuff. All Georgia in the Georgia Oakley. Shout out. <laughs> uh, Dolly D, which I still am not sure whether it's Dolly D initial or D E as in Dolly <laughs> D Leon. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll live in the mystery of that. Anyway, so we can't talk to you about BAFTA results. Although, quick, quick prediction. One prediction about the BAFTAs before we start. Uh, Oppenheimer Best Picture. This is when Oppenheimer points are going to start showing on the board, I Who's think. winning is- Best Actress with Lily Gladstone on the sidelines? Is it going to be Emma Stone or is it going to be Sandra Huller? Uh, I, I might have egg on my face very, very soon, uh, when this airs literally tomorrow, but I think it'll be Sandra Huller. I'm leaning that way. Because I also think Poor Things will probably pick up some BAFTAs elsewhere that it might not pick up at the Oscars. Yeah. I'm hope holding out hope that All of Us Strangers wins something because they, the BAFTAs liked All of Us Strangers quite a bit more than anybody else did you don't think uh, it's taking best british film uh which what are the nominees for best british film um, hold on hold on i've got it in front of me all of us strangers how to have sex napoleon the old oak ken loach is the old oak poor things rye lane Saltburn, scrapper wonka and the zone of interest i think a lot of it's <laughs> i think poor things and the zone of interest are both uh big contenders there i think all of it i think that's probably maybe maybe your best shot at it besides what's it could win its screenplay category you know what i mean i could see it winning best adapted screenplay i i i will i will admit to maybe there's just a hint of optimism for sandra huller to win uh, my call to win bafta in that a i think it would be Good news for us on the Lily Gladstone train, who have been on the Lily Gladstone train. But also, it would be nice to see her win some major prize this season because it's a tremendous performance. She's had an incredible year, and she and she's double nominated at this launch plat. She's also double nominated at BAFTA because she's also in supporting for Zone of Interest. So that might also give her a little bit of a boost. I don't think that's a bad pick at all. Um, so. We'll, we'll, you know, maybe we'll talk about BAFTA results next week, although by the time it's next week, uh, you know, a whole other week's worth of stuff has happened. Um, box office, I did want to, we're, we're definitely into the um, fastly diminishing uh, uh, box office. We're like, really, few, few things are happening. I will say, um, we talked several weeks ago about how Poor Things was having a, a disappointing start to its box office it has definitely righted that ship it is now yeah, north that, of that's 30, no longer the case it is now north of 30 million domestic it's going to probably hit 100 million worldwide uh these are all very good things for poor things good things for yorgos lanthimos um good job by searchlight i think i think we can take away a lot of good things but that 
American fiction's going to top 20 million, which is uh, mm-hmm. also a really good thing, I think, for a type of movie that doesn't really get theatrically released anymore. That is the kind of thing that almost certainly goes strictly art house or television these days. Mm-hmm. So that's really good. I think the zone of interest, you know, give that thing a little bit of an Oscar boost and you could see that going to 10 million, which is kind of amazing. Um, Considering the substance of the movie. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Cause it feels like, you know, you've seen so many critics call it like an art house piece, not, you know, yeah. uh, they think that it's a very audacious best picture nominee. Right. And I'm just going to say it again because I can't say it enough. The Boys in the Boat is a $50 million movie. Like, absolutely <laughs> incredible. A $50 million movie that nobody talked about. There was like a week there where I saw people being like, you know what's pretty good actually is The Boy in the Boat. And that was it. Like, that was the extent of it. Nobody ever talked about it before or since. Um, that I was and able anyone to... but you were the surprise uh, Christmas but anyone like, but you got a lot of chatter, right? There was a lot of chatter about anyone right. but you. It's bringing the rom-com back. People didn't like it. Uh, you know, Glenn Powell talks, Sydney Sweeney talk. You, by the way, I can't, first of all, I can't believe that I've seen Madam Webb before you did, after all that talk that I had. Listen, I'm doing, um, I'm doing my best. I'm very, I'm very busy. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I'm, I'm saying it more as just like, I'm amazed at the, like, the, how quickly those bad reviews made me be like, well, I gotta see it. Um, I, I, was, I will be seeing madame webb i want to talk to you when you do about sydney sweeney because i don't understand her as an actress or movie star you're just gonna find me on the same level as you two unfortunately probably probably all right um well anyway so uh back to the game we are in the home stretch for this we only have a few more weeks to go bafta is going to be a big sort of point getter um where are we with our how many Oscar movies that we need to see before we get to the ceremony. I have now started broaching the shorts. I am going to go see the uh, live action and animated ones in a couple of days. Seeing live watching, action as soon as we're off the call. I've started watching the docs, which are all available to watch on various platforms on uh, on streaming, which is good. So I have five features remaining. So I have... As do I. Well, yeah, you go for give, give me your give me your five. I still have two visual effects nominee. One of them a sound nominee. I have the creator. I have Guardians three. I have um, El Conde, which I still I no. Oh, I didn't to. realize you hadn't seen El Conde yet. Okay, it dropped on Netflix while we're at TIFF, which is just like there's if there's while going we're at to be TIFF, a time that's when it dropped on something. Netflix. Huh? Is that has it been on Netflix that long when we yes, were at it TIFF? Has. Wow, I didn't realize that. So that's just like the most likely time that something will completely miss me. Sure, sure, And then I have two of the docs. I have Bobby Wine and To Kill a Tiger, which usually I am ahead with docs because I, I, in addition to my other freelance work, I do some freelance work for festivals. That's how I saw 20 Days of Mario Poll last year. But like usually this gets me ahead on the docs, not on, not on international features, but I, I had a piece this year that got me when, when the international feature shortlist, all 15 I had seen for that piece, I was jumping for joy for, Multiple. You were doing the Miley Cyrus Grammy Awards 
flowers skippity do dance that she was doing shaking <laughs> your hair not trying to like humble brag about i guess i don't know no um, so yes i have the five brag, brag. and then the live action shorts and the animated shorts hopefully i will be crossing both of those off today yeah i have um we should also say you have reason to see everything right because... i'm i'm yes i'm doing my ranking for vulture how long as have I you always been doing do. the annual ranking in some way or another, in a written form, since Various outlets. 2015, I want to say. I yeah. think that was the first time I had ever gotten paid to write it up. I've been like, I've been like completist uh, since 2012. I've watched all the nominees since 2012, but I think the first time I've ever actually, I actually did a ranking was in 2015. And I've um, been full completist off and on. I refused to see Free Guy, and that <laughs> made me fall off for I think two or three years. But I'm I'm gonna do it this year. You're back, baby. Um, I have to see still, um, Io Capitano and To Kill a Tiger. I have to reach out and get um uh, access to those two. Society of the Snow, which is on Netflix, Eternal Memory, which is on Paramount Plus. And Napoleon, which is still on premium VOD, I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure whether it's going to drop to regular priced VOD before I, I need to see I think they it. announced an Apple date for that, but I think you oh, are right, still going to have to rent it. Yeah, I'm going to um, have to bite that bullet. It's fine. Napoleon is long, is our, my longest one that I have remaining. And it's so actually for $20, it probably like per minute is not a bad. It's not a bad <laughs> investment. Um, I should also say this week, I, I this weekend, in fact, I watched 20 Days in Mariupol, which is the front runner for Best Documentary. Um, last week on the Vulture Update, I phrased and uh, used a really crappy tone in talking about the movies that I still had yet to see, and I used 20 Days in Mariupol as an example of... Uh, uh, you know the the weariness that comes at the end of Oscar season, and it's like, oh, time to make the donuts. I got to go watch these movies. Um, Twenty Days in Mariupol was a terrible example to use for that. On its face, I think uh, if I had thought about it for half a second, I certainly wouldn't have wanted to make light about a movie about the the war in Ukraine. And having seen the movie now. I feel even worse about it because, like, it really is some harrowing filmmaking. And, like, just beyond the actual filmmaking, like, the the act of making that movie is an act of, like, genuine bravery and, um, like, you know, lives at risk. And, and, and to getting be able the footage to sort of, out of the country as And well. getting the footage out of the country both while it's happening and then at the end after the fact. Like, the movie, one of the things the movie's really good at is sort of as all these things are happening, it'll then pepper in the news reports that are happening as they're, like, like uploading some of this information to various editors. And so these things are making news reports. And it's, you know, it's not allowing the Russian government to, um, it's, it's sort of thwarting the disinformation campaign from the Russian government, which is trying to say these things aren't happening. These are actors. These are, you know, yada, yada. So it's an incredibly brave and important piece of filmmaking. And I was, uh, wrong. I, I was just at like, there's, there's no uh, getting around it. I was wrong to be so flippant about it. 
And if I had, again, taken five seconds to think about it, I certainly wouldn't have been. So, uh, it's hard. And as someone who had seen the movie, I could have maybe chimed in and be like, you're actually more mad that you have to watch Napoleon, a movie that... A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You know what I mean? So, it's like, it's lesson for me to, like, think before you speak and maybe, you know be a little less blasé with (laughs) movies, especially movies, you know, that are documentary. We don't talk about documentaries very much. And it's just, it's a different beast when you're talking about it. These are things that are happening. These are, these are urgent current events. And these are really brave journalists in this case. This is, this is a work of journalism, even more so than a work of filmmaking. And it's incredibly powerful. I would rec- you know, recommend to see it. It's there's a point in it where um the filmmaker who's doing the narrating um talks about how uploading some of this footage and sending it to his editors back in uh, the West and saying, you know, um basically essentially saying like this is, you know, warning graphic content, right? This is this is, you know, um be prepared, this is graphic content. And he said that it's painful to watch. And then he says, it has to be painful to watch. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of those things. It's like, you're, it, it's, it's a hard watch. You really see death and destruction up close. And it's really hard to watch. It's hard to watch the medical professionals, um, you know, go through it and, and all this, but it's, it's important to do so. So, uh, recommend to watch 20 days in mario pole and you know once again my sincere apologies for being flippant and dumb what else do we want to talk about before we sign off for this vulture update uh well uh as far as the points on the board go we keep saying you know oppenheimer points are coming oppenheimer points are coming but i'm going down the top list i you know i'm going through the top ranked teams and i'm not seeing oppenheimer any in any of these teams that it's like they could just creep ahead like i'm going through the first 20 and it's not you gotta go you've gotta go down pretty far it's you gotta go down pretty pretty so i wonder if even if oppenheimer has a few really good days at bafta and oscar if oppenheimer will not be in the winning team's draft it's, this point. I think it's going to be close. I will say, once you get to, like, Oscars, it's a lot of points. Those are a lot, like, the, po- the point value, it's not just the number of awards that it could win, but, like, those point values get bigger. And so, I, I again, I can't really math it from this far out. If I was probably more of a of a probabilities person, I would probably be able to, you know, map out where I think this is going to go. Um, but I think it's going to be close. And I think that's kind of thrilling. I think you could have, you could be in for a photo finish with Oppenheimer rosters and non Oppenheimer rosters. And that's exciting. Um, it'll be interesting to see once the dust settles, what movies that aren't Oppenheimer maybe made the biggest difference. You know what I mean? Where, right. Um, something like poor things, everybody has it, so it's not really a difference maker. But like, what are going to be those? You know, is it is it a matter of that you drafted Anatomy of a Fall and got a screenplay point? You know what I mean? If mm-hmm. is it a matter? You know, so there's there's some interesting aspects to it. I will say so. 
I'm also thinking about it in terms of put me on the traders because I'm thinking long game here. <laughs> I'm thinking of, okay, so certainly needing everything everywhere all at once last year affected a lot of people's drafting decisions in this year's game. What is this going to mean for next year's game for whatever? I'm not going to ignore box office next year like I did this year, I think, because uh, you look at had I just done the smarter thing and drafted Taylor Swift, the Eras tour, I would be in a better position than I am now. If I had just, you know, uh, Lord knows I didn't see Five Nights at Freddy's coming and I'll, I, I was, that was never on my radar, <laughs> but like, had it been, you know, that would have been a pretty, you know, uh, decent move on my part. But anyway, um, I'm almost more excited to do postmortem on the season, which last year we I, I we had a bunch of sort of graphs and charts and and analyses after the fact, and I'm hoping we can do that again because that was very exciting. One of the things that I did on the last uh, uh, newsletter was I calculated um, least valuable <laughs> least valuable draft picks. Which was all respect to pain hustlers and foe, both negative points. Negative two movies that were negative points earners. Which honestly, did that happen any last year? I don't remember. I should go back and look and see. It might have, but like so funny. Honestly, like my apologies. And also, did you? We uh, our my uh, a colleague uh, Anusha looked up for me in the in the rosters. Nine rosters had both of those movies. Nine <laughs> poor souls. My my sympathies go out to all of those teams. Sympathies, not apologies. You said apologies leading into that stat on those nine peoples. This is a game. Yeah, this, this is a game. Is, no, this is the way of the game. Yes, I I mean, you listen, drafted poorly. Yes, You're the only the thing game. I will apologize for is I was on something when I valued next goal wins as pricey as I did. You know, I think it was, I think somebody at some point was like, next goal wins could be like a sneaky, uh, like maybe a Tiff People's Choice movie or something like that. This was before the, the, was it, it was next goal wins at Tiff? Was that even a yes, possibility? It was. it was. Okay. Um, and I think people were sort of like thinking about like, you know, cynical green book, you know, style, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, so I was like, man, if next goal wins becomes the like, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody of this season, the movie that like everybody hates, but it's doing well. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna. You have did the opposite too of what movies were the most value. Yes, for a couple the weeks ago. draft yeah. points. What was the? Yes. Win? Uh, there was were, Taylor Swift, wasn't it? Uh, Robot Dreams was the number one because Robot it was a dollar bet, and you got. Uh, oh. Like, uh, in addition to like, because we mentioned earlier, all the doc movies are available. The mm -hmm. doc features are available in some form for listeners to go say. Uh, a kind listener on our Patreon pointed out, which I didn't even know this, that there will be limited screenings of Robot Dreams on March 6th. So if anybody else is a completist and wants Great. to see every single Oscar nominee, Great. March 6th will be your one chance to go see Robot Dreams. Highly recommended. Highly recommended Robot in Dreams. the summer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, highly recommended. We both would pick that movie for animated winner. Um, 100%. So, um, yeah, what are the other... Sorry, I'm just going to very quickly, now that I've actually found the, uh, the newsletter here. Least valuable movies. The Foe and Pain Hustlers got you negative points. Um, uh, Rebel Moon, part one. 
uh zero points it got you nothing uh, uh so that was kind of funny um next goal wins 0.4 points per dollar <laughs> fingernails master gardener the little mermaid which i up until maybe a few weeks before the nominations came out i or it was no it was the short lists that that killed my illusions I was like, The Little Mermaid's going to get nominated for something. All the Disney movies do, and it didn't. <laughs> and um, when you said that to me, I was like, okay, buddy. Yeah, I... uh, genuinely, though, like, as bad as those Disney remakes all got, they all got something. You know what I mean? So, like, sure, I still sure. feel like my my thought processes were, were sound, but uh, it didn't happen. Um, so, anyway, fun with numbers with the Vulture Movie Fantasy League, as always. We will be back next week with another update, and we'll be talking about BAFTA winners and looking forward to SAG. Exactly. SAG's next week. Exactly. All Joe, of us strangers, do I get a bonus 1,000 points because Barbara Streisand is giving a Lifetime Achievement Award at SAG? Uh, is being given or is giving? Is she's receiving, sorry. Yes. You know I can't speak. Um, no, I'm taking away those points because they go to Barbara. Everybody has to give, everybody has everybody, to tithe Go through points. all players in the Movie Fantasy League, find yeah. which one is Barbara's. Yeah. <laughs> what would Barbara's roster I want to hear be? conspiracy theories about what player in the, in the league is Barbara. After sort of reading or listening to as much of the memoirs I have, I still have so much more to go and I'm so excited for it. I'm par- partitioning it out. Um, one of the main takeaways, besides what foods she likes and what colors she doesn't like, um, her taste in men is very specific, and it's essentially like James Brolin really is the epitome. Like oh, she, yes, like yes. that's like she's been she's been building up to that man her whole life, and like also that- the men that have hit on her. There's a passage where like Rafe finds shoots his shot to end all shots. Like he amazing Max hard on Barbara. So you've you've read the whole thing or listened to the whole thing. I'm gonna does do she it talk again. about? I promise you, I'm gonna do it again. Does she talk about the Andre Agassi relationship at all? Yes. Good. Yes. Good. I'm excited to hear about it. Do I just need to buy this for you so you can have it? No, I have. I have the audiobook. I've bought okay. the audiobook. Um, don't worry, I've got it. Um, although I couldn't use a, like a companion. On, I'm literally looking right now at. You can see, Chris. I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at my bookshelf, which says Barbara Streisand, my par- my passion for design. So, like, it might need a co- a, a, a companion, a, a hard cover so. companion. I think so. Uh, um, any last points on the fantasy league? We're already. You're the one who brought up Barbara Streisand. Like, you know. know that I that can't wasn't help it. I can't <laughs> help it. <laughs> no, that's it for the movie fantasy league update for this week. Back to your regularly scheduled cocktail hour with Cloris Leachman. And uh, uh, enjoy. I think a more effective, maybe, I don't know. I Well, yes, more effective, certainly, maybe not like actually effective argument is the one where Sandler makes this deal with the kids that he's going to give them 50 cents for every piece of sea glass that they find. And of course, Christina, the, you know, industrious you know a daughter of an immigrant that she is sort of takes to the beach with her bucket and you know finds as much sea glass as she can find the scene where she's several hundred dollars worth of sea glass ultimately ends up with 650 dollars worth of sea glass that sandler like has to go to the bank to like get the money because of course this is you know 
before they would both have Venmo on their phones, that he'd be able to just do it. And that would have solved everything because Floor would have never seen a Venmo transaction. <laughs> you know what I mean? Although I guess the girl would mean to tell me that she's no, going to give right. her daughter a phone and not yeah. have access to what she's doing no, on Venmo. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. That's too far. But anyway. Um, and then Floor gets like justified. Uh, not even justifiably, but like very understandably upset. You know what I mean? That like everything we know about this character, she had just gotten on Deborah's case for essentially abducting Christina for an afternoon and going and dyeing their hair. And, um, uh, God fucking Deborah. Um, so she just got mad at that. And so like, clearly she was going to get mad also at like her employer handing her 12 year old daughter an envelope full of cash. So she gets super mad. And then the scene where, like, they're having this argument through Christina, because Christina's got to be the translator. Uh, Shelby Bruce is really, really good in that scene, you know, sort of like mirroring her mother's emotions and whatnot. And then at the end of it, after sort of like John gets the talking to of a lifetime, he does come back and is like, you're being a complete hypocrite because you, like, butted in and, you know, so, you know, whatever, like, fixed the the outfit that my wife bought my daughter to give her, you know, sort of essentially to, like, to one-up my, my wife, which she did. That was, you know, she did it out of kindness for mm-hmm. Bernie, but it was very actively, like, one-upping Deborah. And at the end of that argument, Flora's like, yes, you're right. Like, I am a hypocrite. And there at least is some... That that at least is a scene in the movie that I think gets at maybe some of the ideas of the movie. The relationship between John and Flora is not romantically successful, but they do a good job of comparing them as parents that I think is at least more successful than trying to compare the mother-daughter relationships in this movie to one another. Yeah. Does that make sense? 100%. Um, but it's still just incredibly, just an incredibly irritating movie. And on a lot of levels, I think John is levels. almost as irritating as Deborah as well. And like, oh, we differ there, but he's someone not who, uh, yeah. get can get very internal about any degree of their own success and warp their brain into <laughs> thinking that it is equation to failure. Uh, um, uh, that whole thread as a character is not well. Like he he basically. Unless he's projecting onto it, which I don't think the movie defines it as, his, you know, getting this review is so disastrous for him and his identity, and it's just, it's more frustrating than it is relatable, even as someone who should be able to relate to that. I was going to say, like, you who, you know... I've seen you react to very good news being like, oh, I don't know. I got to enter winner's protection. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. That that exact reaction. So, like, uh, you should be able to um, relate to that a little bit. I think it's just like, I think it's way too over the top. And I get what James L. Brooks sees in Sandler as, I mean, he gives him the Albert Brooks haircut in this movie. Do you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I get what he sees in Sandler as a as a main character, as a protagonist. And um, many other directors have seen it uh, too, as him as a dramatic leading man. I think this is one of the least successful of it because I don't buy Sandler in this character. Mm -hmm. I don't buy him relationally with the other people he's cast opposite. 
Mm-hmm. Him and Taylioni being, I mean, they're not a relationship we're maybe supposed to root for, so I guess it's fine. Except but that like, it leaves the door open for them. Sense at together. The end of the movie. No, they really don't make any sense together. Oh, this is, this is another thing. This is sort of ties back to my Taylioni problem, and we can sort of like leave it there. But um, the person, the example I wanted to to give in terms of like a character who is like loathsome on paper, and yet like you cast it right, and that character really sings is Nicholson in As Good As It Gets. Right. Who is, like, a textbook racist, sexist, horrible piece of shit, can't can't help himself. Who learns to be a little bit less horrible. But because Jack Nicholson knows how to play a character like that, where, like, in spite of every, you know, better, you know, angel on your shoulder being like, don't give this guy another chance, you want to because he's giving, like, he's giving a performance that finds those little corners in that character to make him if not immediately likable at least like you sort of you get a window into why he's like this you get a window into that like he's maybe not as awful as his behavior seems and i think that's what would have been required and i can't i don't know if i can think of off the top of my head an actress who could have pulled it off better, but like I just don't think Taylor. Twenty up years to the ago, job. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe like a Catherine Keener. That Very was someone possible. who I was thinking about watching this performance. I think I'm the to think comparison of like, yeah, to Nicholson too is like there's a nuance to the way he physically plays that character. That mm-hmm. it's like he doesn't really know the power of the awful things that come out of his mouth so it's yeah. like he's dissociated from them in a way that Plus like, he's a- he's that's able what to... he gains awareness of he's able to play that character's vulnerability in a way that feels um there's a there's there's a backbone to that vulnerability a little bit if that makes any sense where he's like he's vulnerable but not in this sort of like pathetic woe is me way where he's like begging for your sympathy whereas i think with deborah every few seconds she's just like oh i'm the worst oh i'm whatever and it's like even that's bad even that's annoying that's maybe worse that's maybe the worst thing of it is just sort of this sort of self-effacing like oh my god i just like uh I'm, i'm i'm terrible aren't i terrible aren't you the thing where like She's bracing for Christina to say something really mean to her when they're in the car driving back from getting their hair colored. And it's like, A, you're insane for thinking, like, just read her body language, for God's sake. She's not about to say something mean to you. But it's also that she's just like, oh, give it to me. I can take it. I can, you know, say what you will. And it's just like, get off the fucking cross, lady, first of all. And second of all, (laughs) just like, calm the fuck down. She's the most stressful person She's. I don't understand how anybody's in the room with her. I hate her so much. I hate this character <laughs> so much. I cannot. I ultimately stand her. think it's a perspective issue because, like, we are two people who love insufferable, awful, actual bad people characters. Like, yeah. how many hours have we devoted on this podcast to uh, adoring Becky? Some Becky something. Yes. And right, right. The problem is this movie doesn't have a foothold on a perspective of this character and what purpose she's supposed to serve in the story and Mm -hmm. what, how she's supposed to be humanized. Um, Because, you know, you can have someone be that awful as this person is and as annoying, 
but because of the way that they interact to the story, there is value. And I don't think that her character has any value to this story whatsoever. I think you There's need one scene. I think you need one scene where she sticks up for herself. However, she she sees it. You know what I mean? Where she makes the case for why she is the way she is and why that like why she still deserves dignity you know what i mean this is not a dignified performance this is an incredibly undignified performance and you need to have a character who at the at, at in, in even some small kernel is standing up for herself you know what i mean or else like what am i doing you're just sort of it's that line in angels in america where it's like it's you know it's no fun uh, picking on you, you're like f- throwing darts at a blob of jello. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just blop it and vanish. Uh, or it, like, I think that is very astute, very true. Or maybe also she has a scene where it actually registers with her how damaging she is to other people. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that doesn't exist either in this movie. Well, and I think part of that is is that after the scene where Flora gives her gives Bernie the the coat that now fits they drop Bernie almost entirely like that storyline yeah. goes away she cut she she's still around to like support her dad and she has a couple scenes where it's like you know I'm glad you came home and whatever and it's sweet you know father daughter stuff but like that character ceases to matter as as a storyline and that relationship between her and her mother, which you have every reason to expect that you'll get some resolution to is dropped fully and completely dropped. And Sarah Steele, who's such a good actor. She's so good. I love never her. Never not happy Fuck. to see Sarah Steele. You're uh, not a good, you're not a good wife, good fight person. Are you? I'm not, I'm not, I know. She was I know. so I would, good on those shows. I gotta say like she, especially good fight. She was tremendous. Um, but Bernie is actually an interesting, one of the more interesting characters in the movie, I would argue. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's Bernie and Christina. You want more interesting things between Bernie and Christina in this movie? Like, yes, I wanted to really, I wanted to see what that relationship is. At the end, when Floor comes and she's like, "We're leaving forever," and like Bernie gets out of the pool and she's like, "I don't want to get you wet," and she's in pause. He's just like, "Get me wet." Um, and she hugs her, and it's like there's a little bit of sadness, but she's also mostly just sort of like. You're getting out of here at a good time, lady. Like, she's sort of, like, jokey about it. It's like, are you devastated? Are you sad that this is, like, the one female, you know? Well, I guess Evelyn, too. But, like, this is, you know, a mother figure who's been nice to you. Aren't What's your relationship here? Do you have a sisterly relationship with Christina? Do you have a little bit of a rival relationship? We get, like, little peeks at it. But like, I think if you have more scenes that are just the two of them, we actually get that perspective that the movie is lacking. Like, 100%. what do they collectively think about everything that's going on around them? You also, interest, not that I think the movie needed it, but like, it's funny that there's like a full character in this show, in this movie, the son, who has no personality traits whatsoever. Like, they don't. Just kooky younger movie, brother, man. What more do you need? They give him something. I kept waiting to be like, you remember how in Stepmom the kid's like he's into magic, magic and he like hides in the cupboards and whatnot. It's like usually a kid like this will have like one thing about him and it's like he's dresses up as the Hamburglar. You know what I mean? Who the fuck knows? <laughs> I don't know. It's just like something dumb. But like there's no aspect to this kid. There's nothing like that's why he stays in the pool because there's like what would you even do with him in the rest of that scene? Because he, there's nothing to him. 
at one point he's like, I had a nightmare. It's like, is that going to be his thing? Does he have nightmares? But like that gets dropped. So I mean, with those parents, I would imagine you would. Well, you wake up to a nightmare is what happens. Yeah. I want to take it back to Sandler a little bit because yeah. I don't want to let this character off the hook either. Yeah, you you this is this is a character Not who that, is like, made to parents you. can't have their own things and their own stories, etc. But this man is so far up his ass that like it, it, even in the movie if we could see more of him like being a good dad or like sticking up for his daughter, yeah. you know, it, I would maybe be willing to let this guy off the hook, but he's I don't know. And maybe maybe it's that Sandler is also miscast like everyone else in this movie. But just I found him annoying too in a way that like because Deborah is it so... more that like is it more that like because everybody's so hates Deborah including me that like you you, you find an imbalance there? I do find it somewhat imbalance. I mean like justifiably because yeah. there I mean Taylor Leone has more screen time than Sandler does in this movie. Uh she's the bigger character than him. Yeah. But also I don't think that character is without his flaws. And I don't mean flaws like flawed interesting character. I mean like annoying and a problem to ask the audience to sit and watch this guy. Oh, I I think I disagree that I would have no problem sort of like you know, hopping on board with this character to sort of like follow his, he at least has, I mean, it's not just like he has good, good qualities, but like he has, he does stick up for himself. He does sort of like talk about like how you have to, you know, he relates to floor on the level of wanting to be there and sort of like do the right thing by his kid. He's, frustrated by sort of being stuck between Deborah and and Bernie he has this very sort of like peculiar outlook on his career but also clearly loves I I think it's telling the thing where when he gets this awful news about his wife cheating on him that he goes to the restaurant you know what I mean it's not Mm -hmm. just that he's with floor it's that he's at the restaurant and he's and he's cooking and he's sort of like you can tell that like this is a world in which he feels comfortable and he feels calmed he's good in the kitchen and it's drawn inconsistently i don't i don't quite understand i was going to say don't you think that's part of this movie's disjointedness problem yes. because yep. it does feel like james l brooks and like you hate to just blithely prescribe you know autobiography to a character right. in a movie just because yeah. we know about uh right. you know the creator behind it but it when i was i was only like half joking about what good as good as it gets review hurt you james l brooks because it feels like this character is in a different movie about creative process and you know yeah. uh career journeys etc that the rest of the movie is just not a about that the thing where he has to like give up 20 percent of the business to the sous chef so that the sous chef doesn't leave and it's just like that's maybe we need to maybe investigate that a little more because it's like you love this job and yet like you would give up so much of it in order to spend more time with your family when like spending time with your family includes your horrible awful wife 
So it's like, why do you want to spend so much time? But your kids that probably also need more of you because of said wife? I don't know. But it seems like he already spends a good bit of time with his family. I don't know. It's just like, not that I'm wishing characters to be more workaholics, but it just feels like that seemed to me like a character flaw. This idea that like you would cave so heavily to this sous chef because you can't do the job without him. It just, right. you know what I mean? I don't know. In real life, I guess I would like that because it's like, yeah, work-life balance is important. And, you know, here's a detail. I can't believe it's taking us an hour into this episode to get to. But did you catch that one of the chefs in his kitchen is the Les Incompetents I wrote down. from Home Alone? I wrote I down in would. big capital letters. Would. Les I just would have expected you to bring it up. Angela Goffel's uh, a legend that you are. Yes, of course. She gets a reaction shot. And I was like, I know that face. Speak French to me. Um, wait, what else do I have? Oh, this, going back to, I'm just going to talk about how awful Deborah is for a while. This is, I wrote down very early on, I said, this is like giving a whole movie to the Vianne Cox character from Aaron Brockovich, where like, (laughs) it's a character who would work really well in one scene, and yet expanded to the length of a movie, you're like, this is not sustainable. Like, this is really, it's, it's, like, I think this character as like, a one-scene person who's, like, a mom at the school or whatever, who, like, Paz Vega has to encounter, that would maybe work? Or, like, she's just, like, she's a supporting character even, but, like... uh, Well, you don't really understand what character traits, what persona James L. Brooks is so enamored with here. Like, what type of person are the Klaskis that he... Is he just trying to make awful L.A. people... Right. But it doesn't necessarily feel distinctive to the place that they live. Like it it just makes me very confused who these people are that James Selbrooks thought he was. Because like his movies are so character based and mm-hmm. it is like about understanding a character or a character type. Yeah. And I just it, don't think this movie does that successfully on any level. It feels imprecise in a lot of ways in terms of like, they have this house in the hills, seemingly. Um, they're wealthy enough to be able to just like blithely go and just like get a beach house in Malibu. First of all, detour very quickly. That shot of the houses, the beach houses in Malibu right alongside the highway no, thank you. No, ma'am. <laughs> Absolutely not. That does not seem... If I want a vacation house, it's all about relaxation. I'm not going to feel relaxed when, like, the back of my house is literally up against the highway? No. No. Absolutely <laughs> not. 100% no. I don't care if it's Malibu. Like, fucking give me a less glitzy, less, you know... I don't care how nice the ocean view is. No. 100% no. Um, But anyway... I don't think this movie has a great sense on the socioeconomic status of no. the Klaskis. I think it's weird to me. Is this the first housekeeper they've ever had? Because like Deborah is sort of certainly acting that way. Um that, you know, and that they would hire if if communication is such a boundary here, it's weird that they would hire somebody who speaks no English. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's right. you they know, don't it, they seemingly don't know. It feels like they just fell up the turnip doing. truck right now, and it's like they don't know how to be rich white people. And it's like be be 
more practiced at this. You didn't just get this money. Like what? Especially with the age that their kids are, and Deborah was just coming off of a career. Like, did she not have a nanny? It seems like unrealistic that that she wouldn't have had a nanny. Yes, exactly, exactly. But that's what we're being presented. Yes, yeah. Um, like, give me a little like this. What (laughs) what this movie needed was when Floor is it her friend or her sister? Who she? It's not her sister because she she came just with daughter. Her when with her friend who's interpreting for her. They needed to be like crossing the threshold into this house and like going the other way is the previous housekeeper being like, I washed my hands of this woman. Like, right, she's right. impossible. That makes so much more sense because impossible. it's conceivable that yeah. Deborah just presents herself on first meeting to everyone like that. <laughs> like, she seems to have no friends, which tracks. Uh, she has no right. sort of like social circle. She has no, she's got to be a nightmare at that fucking school, I gotta say. Like, all the other parents must just sort of see her coming and run the other way. Um, Maybe that's what this character needs. We need a scene where, you know, ancillary characters are just running away from her. Like the building's on fire. It's just we sort of, need some. It's Debra. No. Aside from the the scenarios that we see her in, we need some yeah. admission from the outside world. That yeah, this that woman is insufferable. Yeah, yeah. We need we need uh, independent confirmation for sure. Um. Uh, perusing my notes, it blew me away that we got a needle drop for "Let's Get It Started." Like, what are the Black Eyed Peas? Two thousand. It just seems impossible that they would that they were around that early. But I guess so. They must have been. I mean, I was in high school, and yeah, they were there when. Fuck, they seem very late aughts to me. Like Black Eyed Peas is nine eleven culture because remember the like "Where Is the Love" song that was like that's true. That's true. You're not wrong there. I don't know. It just feels. Yeah, no, you're right because like even like London Bridge, London Bridge is mid aughts culture, and like that was already she's like already breaking. Uh, breaking off from them. I guess you're right. I guess I just associate them so much with like the years after I moved to New York, like the first few years after, like, um, Ooh. right? Black Eyed Peas just sounds like Santa Con to me. <laughs> like, it sounds like it, 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 it's like their yeah. music is like St. Patty's Day culture. Yeah. Yeah. It's what white was the song? Culture. I'm not going to remember it. Um, well, and of course, like, Let's Get It Started isn't the real title of that song, everybody. So, uh, Which is also, you know... Problems, problems. Oh, one thing I liked, um, when, uh, when Paz Vega and the friend are there trying to negotiate the salary. Oh, this is why, this is an early clue as to that Deborah's the worst person who I've ever seen in a movie. She literally externalizes the insidiousness of asking a applicant to name their salary, where she literally is like, no, I want you to do this because it's it's a character moment. And you are, if you ask for too little, you don't value yourself. And if you ask for too much, you're taking advantage. And you're like, oh, so you're just literalizing the anxiety that everybody feels when they have to, like, give a salary request like that's the problem with salary requests like right there and you are acknowledging it and yet like proudly even 20 years ago what they end up paying so evil is alarming what's what 650 a week 650 dollars a week yeah yeah the one thing i liked about that, that shit but the one thing i liked about that scene 
is the way Cloris Leachman mimes 650, where right. she like 600 and then she like get, does the little like, I don't know, 50, like chop, chop something in half. I thought that was good. Um, I love Cloris I mean, Leachman I guess movie. that's maybe the one like correct thing about this socioeconomic status is that they pay her a ridiculously low yeah. rate, but. Can I say also, a uh, friend, uh, friend of the podcast and former guest, uh, Bobby Finger, I just texted him the quote uh, last night. I texted him, I love you. I love everybody. That's what's killed me. And then this morning I get a text from him and he's like, wait, is that Spanglish? And I'm like, you're the only person who <laughs> would have gotten, you would have gotten that quote. So um, God bless. A stupid line. Um Let's talk a little bit about Paz Vega before we move sure. into the awardsiness of it and any sure. career stuff for anybody. Because yeah. I ultimately, especially because this was presented as, you know, an American breakthrough for this performer, for this really, I don't want to say nondescript, but I would say the, it maybe it's not even cliche portraiture that, James L. Brooks gives this character because in a certain way, she reacts the way you would to these characters and anyone would react to these characters, which is ultimately like throwing up her arms and being done with them and being upset when they cross the line, you know, I would have liked one scene where she has fun doing something. I mean, well, they have the restaurant scene. She and Christina go out to dinner when she gets the job. That is true, but even that is, like, intruded on by those, like, guys at the bar and whatnot. Right, right. I want a scene of, like, her and Cloris Leachman playing, like, Canasta or something like that. You know what I mean? Just, like... But the movie thinks that this is... Or her with her that friend, it's from like, her perspective more yeah. than it ultimately is. She's, yeah. like... She's the most passive character to all of it, because yes. in the end... It's Christina telling her story. She never yes. tells her... We never are from her perspective or understand her point of view yeah. first, you know? But Flora is such an anxious character that never sort of, like, gets to put that down. You right. know what I mean? Ever. Right. In the scenes with Sandler, in the scenes even in the restaurant, where, like, there's just, like... But her neuroses a... are understandable, though, whereas totally understandable, like, but like, you are your own enemy. But again, I think to to be able to really connect, not to bring it up with like as good as it gets, but like Helen Hunt's character who has a lot of neuroses too, but like we're able to get a couple of windows into her where you see the person, the like sort of fully dimensional person that would exist if she did not have these neuroses. And that's what I want yeah. to see out of Flora a little bit is like, who is the like ideal version of Flora in there? Like who's the Flora that can actually like just like gossip with her friend about something, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. or or anything. Like we need to have like twelve scenes minimum of her and her friend just talking about how awful Deborah is in a like very sort of like almost like a Kiki kind of a way, right? Where they're just you know, as you would talking about Where an annoying she gets person to in just your life. Be a person outside of the context. Just be a person. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's sort of. Uh, oh. Okay. <laughs> There's a lull in the conversation, so here's where I'm going to break out my game. Um, well, I want to talk about just sort of like James L. Brooks, uh, the awards, the awards sort of mystique of James L. Brooks at the time. We talked at the top of the show about like this is like the the case for why this had Oscar buzz is one of the easiest cases to make. It's like 
Open and shut, Your Honor. Uh, uh, here's what it is. James L. Brooks, by the point that Spanglish came out, had directed four feature films. Three of them were nominated for Best Picture. One of them won Best Picture. Among those three movies, he had gotten ten acting nominations for various cast members. Two of or four of those are wins. Uh, Shirley MacLaine, Jack Nicholson, uh, Jack Nicholson again, and Helen Hunt. Um, Terms of Endearment is 1983. Eleven nominations. His first movie. His first movie. He had been. He had uh, sort of come up through like CBS News. Uh, he had made the jump to Hollywood. He creates the Mary Tyler Moore Show, which like would be enough for most people to just like hang their hat on in his entire their entire career. But he becomes this like great TV mogul. I mentioned The Simpsons, which like comes later, but still. Uh, Terms of Endearment, his directorial debut. Uh, 11 nominations, wins five, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Shirley MacLaine for Best Actress, she deserved that, and Jack Nicholson gets his second Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Then in 1987, Broadcast News, also a Best Picture nominee, seven nominations total. This one doesn't get any wins, and Brooks gets snubbed from Best Director. Um... As Good As It Gets is a decade later, 1997, another seven nominations. I thought it was interesting. As Good As It Gets and Broadcast News have almost the exact same nominations. It's uh-huh. picture, director, screenplay. Uh, supporting actor. Supporting actor, lead actress, lead actor. Uh, Broadcast News gets a cinematography nomination. Oh, they both Michael get editing. Miles. They both get editing. Broadcast News gets a cinematography nomination. As Good As It Gets gets a score nomination. But that's the only difference. Um, but as good as it gets, also wins too. They win actor and actress in tandem, Nicholson and Hunt. Um, but Brooks is once again snubbed from Best Director. So already it's a little bit of like, oh, it's like he's making these like talky actory movies, right? Where that's like he's already won Best Director, and yet there's still this like degree of a little bit of disrespect. But in general, there was this sense of James L. Brooks knows how to do a romantic comedy. Like this guy has the touch. He knows how to do a romantic comedy that feels hefty and feels uh, satisfying enough that Oscar voters will go for it. So Spanglish seems to have a lot of the same ingredients. Again, he gives Sandler the adult Albert Brooks haircut. Taya Leone is crying all the time, which feels very Holly Hunter in in broadcast news. And you know, not all the time. She schedules that. She schedules that every day. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh it's there's you know Cloris Leachman is this sort of you know uh older character she's an actress who had won an academy award uh very early on and then has never um had never been nominated since then and so there's a lot of just ingredients that feel perfect and he was even with I'll do anything as a sort of like as a blip in the road it felt like the exception that proved the rule for the rest of it, to, that he came back so strong with as good as it gets. Um, and so there's a there's every reason for people to think this is going to happen again. Now, I want to linger on James L. Brooks for a second. Um, sort of iconic uh, first name, middle initial, last name, which is a you know great Hollywood thing. And so I got to thinking of like, most people don't really know what his what the L in James L. Brooks stands for. Most people don't really know what the middle initials for a lot stands of stands for levity. <laughs> well, you make the joke all the time about like Richard Entertainment Grant and whatnot. So I thought, yeah. you know, um, 
I want to see if we can, if you can guess, accurately guess, <laughs> what the middle initials <laughs> stand for in various Hollywood celebrities. Uh, obviously, if you if you can get it on, right on the first try, that's like amazing and fantastic. But otherwise, we're going to see if I can get you there, if I can like direct you there within like five moves or less, and then we'll just we'll reveal. All right. Okay. This is when I texted you this morning and I said I have a dumb bitch game for us. This is exactly what I meant. This is the so, dumbest bitch game you've ever given. One hundred percent. All right. What I do you it. think the L in James L. Brooks stands for? Leonard. No. Um. Here's what I'm going to do: is I'm going to say alphabetically, uh, higher or lower. So I'm going to say I'll be like Price is Right, higher. Lewis, higher. Hmm. Lude with a just a U like Haley Lou? No, higher. L Y. No, 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 higher. Like uh, alphabetically first. Earlier. Oh, yes. okay. That's what you mean by higher. Yeah. Look at. Imagine A that, like, is the peak. A of at the, the top. A at the top. Z at the bottom. So oh, higher okay. or lower? Yes. Yes. If we're prices writing this, the the scale that Bob Barker is standing next to is a vertical line of letters. A at the top. Z. At Z the is the lowest. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so that means it's probably L A La Larry just Larry, not Leonard, but Larry. Well, yeah, but what does Larry stand for? What Leonard. is Larry short for? Leonard. No. Larry is not short for Leonard. Lenny is short for Leonard. Larry is also Le- La- Lawrence. James Lawrence. Lawrence okay. Larry is short for Lawrence. Um Vanessa L. Williams. What's the L? Oh. Um. Louise? Lower. Mm. Luann. Lower. Lynette? Shorter. Lynn. Lynn. Vanessa Lynn Williams. Very good. Fine, fine, fine. Mary J. Blige. What's the wait? You were about to register. A I was about to complain that I like I'm the person who can't just get Lynn. I have to make it complicated and say Lynette. <laughs> Mary J. Blige. What's okay. the J and J? Uh, Mary J. Blige. Um, Jane. It is Jane. Mary Jane. Well done. Did you know that? Or no? Yeah, very good. Mary Jane Blige. Uh, John C. Riley. Christopher. Christopher. Man. All right, you're on streak now. George C. Scott. And I'm going to say, think about this one for a second. Clyde. No, higher. Think about what we know about George C. Scott. Things we know about George C. Scott. Conceivable Republican. That's what the C stands for, conceivable Republican. <laughs> George Conservative Scott. Um, no, what, <laughs> what do we know about him familially? Oh, oh, who is he related to? Someone was his... Oh, Campbell. Campbell. George Campbell Scott, just like his son, Campbell Scott. Campbell Scott's dad. Yes. Paul W.S. Anderson. What's the W and what's the S? (laughs) Wesley Snipes. (laughs) No. Not Wesley and not Snipe. Paul Wesley Snipes Anderson. (laughs) He had to get into movies. He just knew he had to. Um, no, uh, uh, lower than Wesley. Uh, Winston. Higher. 
higher than Winston, lower than Wesley. So, you're missing a very obvious that you went to Winston and not this name is very funny. Um, not 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 w i n Wilfred. Not Wilfred, but Will- William. William. Yeah. William. I don't know basic names. <laughs> I would be a monster parent. Um, what do you think? Paul he- William Smith Anderson. Higher. William Scott Anderson. Yes, Paul William Scott Anderson. Very good. The L in Samuel L. Jackson. Lewis. A little higher. Just a little. Just a oh, little. Oh, how were you spelling Lewis? L-O-U-I-S. Oh, further, further, higher, higher. I oh, thought you were okay. saying L-E-W-S. It's a little Leroy. higher than L-E-W. It is Leroy. Samuel yeah. Leroy Jackson. Uh, David O. Russell. Um, Oren? Ha, uh, lower. Owen. Owen, yes, very good. Charles S. Dutton. Stephen. L- higher. Uh, Samuel. Uh, lower. No, you had the first two letters correct in Stephen, just, just a little higher. Stefan. No, a little higher than that. Stuyvesant. No. That's lower. That is lower. Steve? No, high, higher. Get a, give me a different vowel. T E S T A. Yeah. Stanford. You've almost got it. You've got the first Stanley. Four letters. Stanley. Charles Stanley yeah. Dutton. Okay, these ones are just weird. So I'm just gonna uh, Michael J. Fox. I'm gonna give you one guess and then tell you what it is. Jedediah. Andrew. Michael so J. Fox's middle name is Andrew. He just put the J in there. Isn't that wild? Um, I'm glad you didn't ask me that. That would not have well, been no, fair. Well, no, that would not have been fair. Lee J. Cobb. Jedediah. His real name is Leo Jacoby. Ah. Isn't that interesting? And finally, Richard E. Grant. Entertainment. Actually, I would have loved it if it was. His middle name is actually Grant. It's Richard Grant Esterheisen. Oh. He was also born in Swaziland. So there we go. All right. Thank you for playing my dumb little game about middle names. I think we all learned something, and that's what's really We did. We learned what the L stands for in James L. Brooks. Yes, which is uh, uh, Lawrence, James Lawrence Brooks. All right. Um, It's also worth talking about Sandler in terms of an awards trajectory. Sandler, who still does not have an Oscar nomination. This, This made a lot of sense as a predictive nomination. Yes, because it's coming off of Punch Drunk Love, Mm -hmm. which most people thought would have been too strange for Oscar and they were correct. Yeah. But this felt like, okay, so he got some street cred for that movie. Mm-hmm. Now this is the one mm-hmm. where people could actually embrace it in a true mainstream Oscar type of way. If I'll, it's successful. I'll say this though, is Oscar voters have proved to be surprisingly resilient to um, that type of cynicism. Well, no, not that type of cynicism, but to 
elevating the comedy stars of the 90s, where like uh-huh. Jim Carrey never got that nomination for The Truman Show, nor for Man on the Moon, nor for Eternal Sunshine. Mike Myers has a few times tried to go for the serious route and never, you know, found Oscar success there. Sandler hasn't. Um, I'm trying to think of like who the other sort of like big comedy box office guys. Will Ferrell. Remember when like the producers came out and Stranger Than Fiction, baby. Stranger Than Fiction, we did an episode on. So I just think it's interesting that while it does definitely happen, um, and I think we even get stuff like Melissa McCarthy, who like gets nominated for the comedy, and you know what I mean? Like actually Mm -hmm. like gets nominated for for one of her comedic performances. But um, I feel like this is the thing that we maybe overrate as Oscar watchers and that like, oh yeah, once the comedian goes serious, that's when they're going to nominate them. It's like, sometimes they just don't nominate them. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, so I don't know. It's interesting. I do think Sandler will eventually be nominated. Mary Tyler Moore is actually an example of that happening, right? That is very true. Does the serious role in Ordinary People, gets the nomination. Is incredible in that movie, too. Uh, Jackie Gleason got, didn't he get nominated for The Hustler? Wasn't that? Um, I think so. Uh, I don't know. I think so. Anyway, continue. <laughs> Sandler, I think, will eventually happen. He just seems to actually well respected and loved by the people who have worked with him. And mm-hmm. he's worked with a lot of people. That Jennifer Aniston shout out at the SAG Awards that one time really kind of says a lot. Adam Sandler, I love you, man. Uh, buddy, she says, I love you. Your magic is real, and I love you, buddy. Um, <laughs> it's so cute. It's very nice. But it does speak well of him, right? It may, it really, you know, um, makes you think like he's he's somebody I mean, who I think, people really I like think on the, set. the issue is, and maybe less so for Spanglish, because, like, Spanglish as a vehicle, as a whole, felt like it was, you know, because of the James L. Brooks of it all, mm-hmm. you know, Gunning for more than just Sandler. Mm-hmm. I think it's going, he's going to be one of those people that it's going to take, mm-hmm. you know, the movie actually doing well mm-hmm. too. It can't just be all about Adam Sandler, which, like, maybe you could argue the closest for that is Uncut Gems, but Uncut Gems didn't really ever do well enough of, like, making that movie a best picture contender beyond it was a best actor contender for. Adam Sandler, as far as how that campaign ran. But I remember that year thinking, oh, this would be a good spot for them to nominate Sandler. It's a real, it's, it's a, it's a different kind of a movie. It's, but it's also him playing a real character. You know what I mean? It's right. not just sort of like, cause Punch Drunk Love and Spanglish to a degree kind of utilized part portions of the Sandler that we already knew. Uncut Gems is actually having him do something like very different. Much as I don't and love putting that him movie. in a certain context that yeah. also recontextualizes what we think of him as a performer. I would yes. argue, yeah. I just yeah. think that movie, not unlike maybe a May December, but it's like the the heterosexual version of like <laughs> the people who love May December. In that, like, that's a movie that's always going to do better for critics than it is going to for the industry establishment like i think that's right but i also think the push there for that movie was sandler it wasn't the movie and that's what it would take for sandler to Mm -hmm. 
get nominated. I think, but right. I do think he eventually will be. That's that. I would tend to agree with that. Yes. He also has that movie dropping on Netflix where he's an astronaut that apparently is just a straight drama that has been sit like they shot it during the pandemic. I think like this, people have been wondering when this was going to come out, and yeah. it's finally coming out on Netflix. I think the but thing they're about not making an awards push if they're opening it in mm-hmm. March or April or whatever. The thing about Adam Sandler in Netflix is. I feel like he got off on such a, a a weird note with what was the western that he did um I don't on Netflix even know at the how beginning many of, of those that comedies he's done for Netflix at this point. He was it's... he was the ridiculous 6, right? That was him? Or was Maybe. that Seth MacFarlane? Hold on. Um Seth MacFarlane did a western. Um but that with, was theatrical. With Charlie's Theron, right? Um yeah. yes, but that was theatrical. But um the ridiculous 6 was in fact Adam Sandler. Um and I feel like that was right at the beginning of his Netflix deal. Remember he made that like eight picture deal with Netflix or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then that was the one where it was like, it was a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> like it was so bad from what I understand. I've never seen it. Um, they all are like shoddily made. And then he made like Sandy Wexler, who a lot of like, that that got a lot of like, no, but he's like really good. And it's like, I'll never know. Um, but then he started like actually making like good movies on Netflix, like the Meyerowitz stories. And stuff like Hustle that I've never seen, but I am told that Sandler is good in. Um, Actually, but, Sandler in another Noah Baumbach movie is the type of vehicle I would believe could be. I, you, you I know mean, I, his Meyerowitz performance is my favorite performance of I, his. I would have nominated him for Meyerowitz. I, that's yeah, the one yeah, that I would have nominated him for. But anyway, it just feels like the Netflix things, anytime he makes a thing for Netflix now, I think it gets, sort of gets chalked up to like, oh, another Sandler Netflix movie, and people just sort of like walk on by. Um. The Taylioni thing. So Taylioni, at this point in 2004, she is primarily known as a TV star for whatever that's worth. She had been in, of course, movies like Flirting Disaster, Flirting with Disaster, and Deep Impact. Uh, she's in The Family Man with uh, Nicolas Cage, but she's sort of mostly known for that short-lived NBC show, The Naked Truth, that I think was on must see tv for a little bit it was one of those like post friends time slot movie or shows i want to say um and it feels like the uh, once again brooks trying to do the helen hunt thing again because helen hunt was pretty mm-hmm. much primarily known as a tv actress she was still on mad about you when um she got cast in uh, as good as it gets and I don't, again, I don't think Taylioni works in this movie. We sort of just differ a little bit in terms of who who gets that blame. But I, I, I do, I do feel bad for her because I think she's, I think she's really trying. Looking into the TV comedian, I hate that term, TV com- comedic actress uh, um, talent at that time. Who do we think do we let's 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 do a little thought experiment of like who may have fit better. So my immediate thought was, and I don't know if this is good, this I don't think this would work, Deborah Messing. I'm like, what does this she movie work better if Deborah Messing? I think too young. Um and also I don't believe her as the mother of a teenager at that point. Right. I'll say I'll give you I'm gonna give you a name of somebody who's the exact same age as Taylioni. Although it does seem she, we've never seen her in a mothering context, um, so it might seem weird. But Sarah Jessica Parker, yeah, 
I don't see her taking that role. But I but think she gives. I a, think she would have made it work better. I think she has something in her that, like, again, I'm not the first person to talk about that Carrie Bradshaw is a monster of a person, and yet, like, she makes. She's not as bad as Deborah in this movie, but um, she's spent her entire. She's made her money as making this character who has so many sort of like objectionable quirks to her work in a way that you know that's that show really succeeds um i do think the character i do think the comparison of bless this messing is an apt one because (laughs) today she would do i think she would do much better at this role than taylor leone ultimately did or be more right for it. Yeah. What about, uh, and maybe not the the version in 2004, what about like a Jennifer Aniston in this role? I don't see it. I don't really see it. I like Though the maybe idea of I her would believe her with Sandler, Sandler more because they yeah. have worked together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We haven't even talked about the awful sex scene that they have in this movie. Categorically one of the worst sex scenes in movies. And I, I know it's to supposed to be... It's supposed to be somewhat comedic. I don't like laughing at a character in that way. Like, look at this weird way they have sex. It's oh. it, it makes me be like, well, then don't show me that. <laughs> you know, it's it's. I don't like it. I don't like it. It, and it really feels like it's mocking her in a way yeah, that it is is not like. And what? then for the movie to want me to be on her side at some point. And it feels like just a scene from, I don't know, a Judd Apatow movie. James L. Brooks has done so well in creating these movies and these characters and these scenes and moments and lines of dialogue that all, in some way, you see the truth and you see a little bit of recognition. You're like, oh, yes, that's he's described that emotion so perfectly. Um, I think he does it in this movie with the three and a quarter star thing. I totally relate to the three and a quarter star, like wanting that instead of a four star. I get it. Um, there's nothing about this scene that you're like, oh, we've all been there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we've all had an epileptic seizure while atop our, uh, you know, semi-willing husband. Uh, and then that leading us into sobbing, you know, yeah. I just don't want to see any sex scene. Yeah. That's supposed to comedically end with someone sobbing. I just don't want to watch that. That feels like a joke from 1973 that has never been funny. Yeah, I yeah, I agree. The other thing that I feel bad for Taylor Leone is, like, there weren't a lot of movie roles after this. No, there really weren't. And was fun with Dick and Jane before the or year after, after The year after. The year after. And that yeah. did not Which also well. was a yeah. bomb yeah. yeah 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 um yeah those two back to back don't really super work jennifer garner in a role like this what do we think type a a little off-putting because of it she would have been a little too young still right but i mean like a, a, a version a version of jennifer garner a you know I mean, I guess in like five years we would see her, or not even five years, just a few years we would see her in Juno. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Where she's great. Um, well, it's also the thing where we the the our mental image of who's old enough to be a mother of a high schooler 
has gotten a lot older now, right? Where right. it's like before, you could that's be true. in your late 30s and be a mother of a high schooler, and that would be like, yeah, well, that's that's correct. In that's these circumstances, of- too, where they're like affluent. Mm. Right. Whereas right now, a mother of a teenager, of a, of a wealthy couple, you're like, oh, you're 60, right? Like, that's just sort of, you know, you had your eggs <laughs> frozen, and you had a baby at 48 years old, and and, you know... So there's a degree to which, yeah, you have to sort of cast that role older than sort of, you know. Is there some detail in this, too, where they say they got married young? I don't think Am so. Am I misremembering that? I don't think so. But again, I may have missed it yeah. because I was cringing too bad. Um, it's also us, like, optimistically casting it, too, because <laughs> yeah. it's like, what is Hollywood's version of what that is? You know, it's like, you can have a teenager uh, at, yeah, I don't know, 25? Why not? Like, yeah. Um, I just want to... worse examples. Before, we're, we're sort of getting into the witching hour here. So, uh, Cloris Leachman, 1971 Best Supporting Actress winner for The Last Picture Show, a movie I've never seen. Have you ever... You've, I imagine you've seen The Last Picture oh, Show. Oh, she's incredible. Incredible. What Her character is lonely. That's a, that's a movie where someone has work cries after having sex, but that's not... Uh, lonely know. wife who's cheating on Man her too. husband with a young buck. Is that the character? Am I getting that wrong? Yeah. 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 Not bad. Nice work if you can get it. Um, she also is though is like a huge TV star. Obviously, she was on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Her character gets a spinoff, so like clearly that's you know the history she has with James L. Brooks. She's an eight-time Emmy winner across like a bunch of different shows, including like I think two for Malcolm in the Middle um, as a guest star. So she is the by the time she gets the SAG nomination, Spanglish has been dealt with spanglish has been set aside this is a quintessential sag nomination of 100%. when the nomination happens it's like oh you're you're go- basing off of like buzz from a month ago yeah i will say i don't think she's she's not in my like top five on my own ballot i support this nomination i do think she's really really right good she's like the she's one the thing that really works in, the movie. in this movie i really think she's great um uh she gets she's she's again She's got that line delivery thing where she's the thing where she's at the Taylor in the car about to drive away. And she's like, before you go, I just want you I want to tell you that you're going to lose your marriage if you keep doing the things you're doing and you're totally screwing up your life. And then she like hits the 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 uh, the side of the car and she's like, all right, see you later. And she's just like, it's 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 just perfectly timed, perfectly calibrated. Um, I really love her. She loses, of course, to. Kate Blanchett, who did not win the Golden Globe, but this was when, like, this, I remember this SAG Awards being like, okay, right. Uh, Clive Owen and Natalie Portman won the Globes for Closer, but, like, that's not how it's going to go at the Oscars, right? We all sort of think it's going to be Morgan Freeman and Kate Blanchett, and then, like, that's exactly what happened at the SAG, so we were like, mm-hmm. all right, okay, things are back in the saddle again. That um, was a SAG snub that did actually mean something when, cl- though, I mean, it's always possible that because Closer was a late enough movie yeah. that it didn't screen for SAG or something. But like when everybody freaks out that, I don't know, Regina King doesn't get a SAG nomination, it's like, yeah. well, but that doesn't mean anything. Right. Natalie and Clive Natalie Portman back. not getting nominated did mean something. Yes. Um, um, Natalie and Clive both got back into the Oscar race uh, thereafter. But yes. So obviously, Cloris, you know, that was the end of 
kind of the run for Cloris. She got uh, Best Actress nomination at the Movies for Grownups Awards. That was her other big one. I liked that, first of all, I like that the M4Gs at this point were just nominating all performances in lead, in actor or actress. <laughs> um, I also like, you know, I don't, I hate that I've gotten to the point where I'm like complaining about the M4Gs, but the M4Gs have kind of lost the plot a little bit. I, they've, they've lost the magic. They've lost their identity. You know what I mean? They really have. And it's a shame because this particular category, so Leachman's nominated for Best Actress, she loses to Anne Reed for The Mother. Again, one of those on a long list of 12 possibilities for Best Actress that year, Anne Reed would have been on it. But like nobody really thought that she had a chance. Uh, this is the movie where she fucks Cly- uh, Dan- Daniel Craig, right? Yes, yes. Again, nice work if you can get it. Um, but like This was an abbreviated title, too. Um, in the UK, it was released as The Mother Was Mothering. I sent you that clip. Joe looks so upset, listeners. He's so mad at me. I'm so I, mad. At, exactly I knew you were. I, I knew it. you were working on something about mother, and I knew. I sent you the clip from the um from the fucking what what was the concert that I sent you the clip from? Shit. Um, oh, the Mitski concert. The Mitski yeah. concert, listeners. It's yes. really hard to be a Mitski fan these days because I just want it to be known that I am not associated with these people yelling things and meowing her at her at concerts. It's this Mitski. It's this clip from a Mitski show. I don't really know Mitski, but I under. I guess I'm given to understand that like she is. She's a moody. She has insane fans. She singers has insane. But, but like her vibe at a concert. This this part of the show, at least, she was doing something quiet and slow with a sustained silence. And into that sustained silence, there are a couple like meeps and meow and hoot and holler. And then because people can't stand silence and they fucking, you know, will die if they're not the center of attention for one second. And then some fucking moron asshole goes, mother is mothering. And then from the side of wherever, whoever's recording this immediately goes, shut the fuck up. It's so great. Like, it's not even mother is mothering. Shut the fuck up. It's so fantastic. It's so one of the greatest musical artists of our current moment. And you're going to behave like a fucking idiot. Oh my God. Shut the fuck up. Idiot child. Go away. Stop it. it No, 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 no. It's very hard to be, uh, uh, to be in the fan position of being like, well, I'm not like that. (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't but i don't think it reflects on mitski fans i think i think you could see that happening no 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 no, no, no. it's very true is no, it it's it's true of the mitski fandom it is oh that's so dumb and gross but i could also imagine that happening at like a lana del rey show or whatever somebody being like mother it's just like shut up you fucking idiot um anyway Anne reed wins for the mother uh, at the end for G's. Also nominated Jenna Rollins for The Notebook, Lily Tomlin for I Heart Huckabees. Fucking love that nomination. Yeah. Meryl for The Manchurian Candidate, Susan Sarandon for Shall We Dance. This is an M for G's category. This is ladies of a certain age who are not maybe in the Oscar race and we're going to give them their due. And this is what the M for G's should be. Don't go chasing your, the just, photocopying the Oscar nominations, guys. That's not what you're here for. You know, you've already you're already not televising your award show anyway. Like who's who is this for? Who is this pantomime for? 
uh, ain't you tired, Miss Hilly? Ain't you tired, uh, <laughs> AARP, M4Gs? Just go back to doing what you do best, which is nominating Lily Tomlin for whatever movie she was in this year because she was undoubtedly great. And what I love is this is probably when it was also just in the magazine, not like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, voted on by anyone. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Mm-hmm. No one who received AARP magazine knew what the mother was. But maybe a few of them went and sought it out, Chris. Maybe they went to their uh, uh, Lincoln Plaza cinemas that used a to Daniel exist. A Daniel Craig fan is born. Listen, the AARP demographic is the demographic for I'm going to go see the mother at the, at the Lincoln Plaza cinemas, and I'm going to be around nothing but retirees. And like that is that's God, the vibe. That's my ideal theater going nothing. crowd i told you that was my theater going crowd when i saw the taylor swift movie yeah it was it, it i hadn't had like it was the ideal way to see that movie truly there is nothing that f- feels more n- true to my new york experience than seeing just the most sexually explicit independent film with a crowd of entirely retired ladies <laughs> it's Did you see like antichrist with a bunch one of one million billion percent chris that's exactly what it was and it was god bless those cultured ladies in in the city that never sleeps i love it um the other sort of only other major nomination that spanglish got it was a one-time nominee at the golden globes for an original score by Hans Zimmer, a score that I'm going to admit didn't really make much of an impression on me. No, but Hans Zimmer's As Good As It Gets score is very memorable. Oh, very memorable. So, yeah, this is sort of a little bit of a Halo nomination. These are odd um, Golden Globe nominations for score. Sometimes the the Globes just go on a totally different tangent with their music nominees, and I think that's great. Um, the Oscar nominees were... Uh, Howard Shore, the Oscar crossovers at least, Howard Shore for The Aviator, I'm pretty sure was an Oscar nominee that year, and Jan A.P. Kaczmarek for Finding Neverland, who wins the Oscar, right? Wins the Oscar. Uh, also nominated at the Globes, though, are Rolf Kent for Sideways. Great nomination. Yeah, like that's... People always talk about like, well, you can't expect these small little talky movies to get a ton of nominations. There are so many ways you can get a movie that's, you know, not this big bombastic, you know, you know, feat of directorial, you know. We like those vision. nominations too. Love it when a small little talking movie gets an editing nomination or a score nomination. Lord knows they're never going to get costume or pro- production design, but we can dream. Um, and then, of course, the Golden Globes love, love, love to nominate Clint Eastwood in the music category. They will nominate an Eastwood score. It's grand. They will nominate an Eastwood song. My, ooh, I have I have real good Clint Eastwood voice today. Listeners, I am coming <laughs> off of... Uh, whenever my voice is like this on an episode, just know that I was at a drag show last night and I was screaming for three hours. Listen, we just came off like four different episodes where I am losing my voice halfway through and I'm like croaking. Actively I'm, losing I'm finally back. the class of 2023 I'm finally episode. back at least. Oh, we forgot. And now to... I'm I'm in a Clint Eastwood register to do my Grand Torino. Grand Torino. Every once in a, it's a Grand Torino. I was listening to to uh, Blank Check uh, the other day. The uh, they had Bobby and Lindsay on to talk about the mirror has two faces, and they got into talking about the upcoming Clint Eastwood movie that sounds awesome. Have you have you kept track? Tony of Tony Collette's in it, right? Tony Collette's in it. It's called The Juror. 
And it's about a guy who committed a murder and then ends up on the jury for, I guess they're prosecuting somebody else for the crime. But the Oh, juror. this sounds like some Clint Eastwood bullshit. But it like, also sounds like some 90s ass, like, courtroom fantastic. Sure. Like, oh my god, I'm so excited for this movie. Wait, now I want to look it up because um, I don't, I don't relish hating on Clint Eastwood just because um, he's made well, like I mean, and... it's some of the stuff that he's made, it's like, all right. Um, oh, it's and called. Juror? I think Gran Torino is like actively bad. Um, juror number two is the name of the movie. Nicholas Holt is the main guy. A juror serving on a murder trial realizes he may be at fault for the victim's death. Oh, this is interesting. So he's not like this is maybe what a hit and run or something. Interesting. Mm. Um, Tony Collette, Zoe Deutsch, Kiefer Sutherland, Leslie Bibb, um, Chris Messina, J.K. Simmons, Amy Aquino. I love Amy Aquino. Um, the thing about Clint Eastwood is the tie was cut with Warner Brothers because of David Zaslav being like, well, his newest movie didn't make any money, so we're not going to work with him anymore. Uh, was it David Zaslav or one of the other WB execs? And it's like, forget the like tons of money that he's made for yes. decades for you. This one movie you know, doesn't make you money, so... There's that like decades long relationship. Separate. This it says this is a Warner Brothers movie though. Interesting. Eh, maybe, maybe this is like a vestigial. Or that's incorrect. But like that was said on like uh, an investors call and made headlines when that happened. Maybe it's like going forward. Maybe this is like the last vestigial, independently God. produced, and then please yeah, don't let them like shelve this thing forever. Like with that poor fucking coyote movie. Don't make us root for a a coyote movie. It's true. Um, like, listen, but I am. Don't be so diabolical that like we are all up in arms over an IP movie. That it is insane to me that the buying price that they demanded for that movie, if they were going to sell it versus shelving it, because yeah. it's the same price that. Disney paid for the Taylor Swift movie, and I think they got global rights for it. You think you're going to get that for your Coyote movie? I know, but it's the principle of the thing, Chris. Like, I just, it is the principle of the thing. Like, you know, don't don't throw movies in a box and and right. burn it. Like, but it just speaks to the delusion of these people that are running yeah. the studios into the ground right now. Yeah. All right. It's like it's not even just that they don't care about the art form that they're creating and putting out into the world mm-hmm. is that they exist in this delusional level of how much money they can make off of things or like mm-hmm. what their profit interest, how dominant their profit interest is. It's delusional. It's, it's it is delusional. Um, two other M for G's nominations though, for Spanglish, they got um, best intergenerational film nomination, which yeah, chorus. I guess intergenerationals with mothers them. and daughters. Mothers and daughters, sure. It loses to Miracle, which I think is so funny because yeah, I guess every sports movie that has a coach is intergenerational that, because of the concept ha- of a coach. Yeah, a coach and some players is intergenerational. Except Nyad, unless you're Nyad. Except Nyad. Yeah. Except Nyad. Dork. I love that we both <laughs> had that same. It's like nope, Jodie Foster, uh, coach slash peer. Well, in fairness, Nyad was uh, nominated for Best Buddy Comedy. And well, and should have been. It's the Best Buddy Comedy. It, it wasn't because they got rid of that category because they're Cheers. losing their identity. Uh, Badass, the um, uh, 
Melvin Van Peebles or Mario Van Peebles movie about uh, his father. Melvin Van Peebles uh, was nominated for intergenerational film. Monsieur Ibrahim, which I'd never seen, was also, nominated. Also, what if someone was a coach? Because it's like a choir movie. Like, oh, what, <laughs> what if someone was a and coach. choral directors? And then the Five Obstructions was nominated at the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards. Once again, Agnes reading the magazine is like, I guess I'm going to go see the Five Obstructions this weekend. Um, Harold, their their dog. That's Harold dog, the Dutch. <laughs> Harold, their Dutch. That's a dog. That's obviously a dogma. Uh, ninety five thing. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that movie came out a lot sooner than that. Anyway, um, Spanglish also nominated for James L. Brooks's screenplay loses to Spider Man Two. Alvin Sargent. Honestly, for a superhero movie, that's not a bad one to spotlight. Like Spider Man Two's, you know. That's However. I know. The AARP nominated Almodovar for Bad Education, which is like, that's like one of the, uh, the like, heavy, like, not heavy, but like, it's the end, it's one of his NC-17 movies. It's, again, it's like, guess, go there. Guess who was there. in the audience when with me when I saw Bad Education? <laughs> a bunch of blue hair ladies. Um, the, the, the gin club at the local, uh, church group yes um so paul haggis is nominated for the screenplay for million dollar baby along with co-writer fx tool now that just sounds like an alan smithy name to me right somebody is just like i don't want my contributions on this movie to be on the record Isn't that the author of the original short story though? yes it is but yeah. let me have but my you're still little fancy. It just sounds like, you know, fuck you, I'm out of here. It's like, ooh, what do we credit you as? I don't know, FX tool, like, whatever. Um, the only FX tool uh, in this establishment is Ryan Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to go a different way and say, like, the only FX tool is the uh, Apple computer that allowed, uh, you know, whatever, like an FX tool. Like <laughs> Noah Hawley, a real FX tool. <laughs> Thank you, Ava DuVernay. All right, anything else we want to say about Spanglish before we uh, move on to our game portion of the evening? Uh, no, I think we got it all out there. I do too. Uh, not a good movie, somewhat uh, baffling. Um, I still... There was talk of James L. Brooks directing another movie recently right oh yes yes i'm glad you bring this up and who somebody got the lead that was semi-exciting but I'm emma mackie figure out what this is. oh oh no that's not that exciting it's a uh it's an upcoming comedy written and directed by james l brooks uh a young politician tries to balance work and family life while she takes over as governor of her state I want to make sure that this is on IMDb because sometimes Wikipedia has a thing and you're like, I don't know about oh, that. Oh, Jack Loudon is cast in this, which is why I was like, oh, oh. Jack Loudon. I love him. Um, Mr. Sir Ronan. Yeah, Mr. of my dreams. Yes, Ellen, Ella McKay. So uh, Emma Mackey, uh, Jack Emma Loudon. Emma Mackey playing presumably Ella McKay, which just shouldn't be allowed to have. You can't. To me, that's that. just lazy. Would you talk about best casting? Best casting, Oscar? This has got a. This is low effort casting. <laughs> Who do we get to play Ella McKay? I don't know. Emma McKay? Like, whatever. It gives a shit. Um, 
Jamie Lee Curtis, Woody Harrelson, Iowa Debris, who is like the hottest thing going in Hollywood right now. Albert Brooks, of course, fantastic. Kumal Nanjiani. Um, uh, my husband, Jack Loudon. Saoirse and I share. Um, we're very good friends. Wow, together. I didn't realize the three of you were in a triad. Well, we're giving it a shot. You know what I mean? It's not easy, and it's it's work, but it's the best kind of work. And um, modern romance, modern romance, man. What can I say? Yeah. So I'm glad. I'm glad that James L. Brooks is making another movie, even though his last movie yes. was How Do You Know, and um, uh, that didn't work out very well either. So he's gone. You know, a losing streak, dating back to 2004. But Hope Springs Eternal, and um. The man who gave us Terms of Endearment and Broadcast News and As Good As It Gets gets to do whatever he wants for the rest of his life, as far as I'm concerned. So, I agree. All right. Chris, do you want to explain to our listeners what the IMDb game is? Of course. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. That's not enough. It just becomes a free-for-all of hints. We love a free-for-all of hints. Uh, Chris, would you like to give or guess first? Uh, I think I'll give first. I've been guessing first lately, if I remember correctly. Um... So I went into the James L. Brooks filmography of his stars, and surprisingly, we have not done Miss Turbulently Brilliant's her, Brilliant uh, herself, uh, however I wanted to put that, uh, Deborah Winger. Deborah so, Winger. All right. Miss Turbulent Brilliant's herself. I think it's going to be both Terms of Endearment and An Officer and a Gentleman. Both of her Oscar nominations, correct. All right. Now... Well, no, she also has another Oscar. I shouldn't say both. Two of her three Oscar nominations. Was she nominated for Urban Cowboy? That's a different question. Are you guessing Urban Cowboy? No, I'm asking if she was... Well, no, because you already... I'm going to guess Urban Cowboy. Urban Cowboy is correct. She was not nominated for it. What was the third thing? A secret third thing. A secret third thing. Okay, so I'm three for three? Uh yes, you're three for three. The secret third thing, her other Oscar nomination, we'll talk about. Okay. All right. Oh, I remember it. I've seen it. Um, but I don't think it's on her known for. Uh, it's not. No, because it's not a it, Shadowlands. It's, it's, is it not, truly is a secret third. Shadowlands thing. is a secret third. Thing. <laughs> it, it, no, but no, yeah, no one's seen that movie. I actually did. T. S. Lewis or T. S. C- Elliot. C. S. Lewis. C. S. Lewis. Yes. Um, T- I know the T.S. literature. T. S. Madison in Shadowland. <laughs> yes, um, Anthony Hopkins as T. S. No, 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 no. Queen. I would watch T. S. Madison and, and Deborah Winger be lovers in a movie. T. S. Madison watching Anthony Hopkins on the dailies and yeah. just says the F slur. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Deborah Winger, three for three. I mean, no wrong guesses so far. Everything in me is screaming to say Rachel getting married, but I want to make sure that I'm not like skipping something screamingly obvious from the like, oh, 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 you know what I'm going to say? A movie I love, Forget Paris. I also love Forget Paris, but that's not oh. correct. Is it Rachel getting married? It's Rachel Gibbs. Fuck! God damn it! God damn it! It's been so long since someone's got a perfect. She's the lead in Um, Forget Paris. I thought that might have trumped it. 
only weirdos like us know Forget Paris. I love that movie. That should be on TV every Saturday. Every Saturday, it should be on in the afternoon somewhere that that I should be able to just sit down and veg out and watch Forget Paris. TikTok teens need to discover the scene where a bird gets stuck to her head. (laughs) Because, like, if there's any scene in, like, a 90s romantic comedy that's clippable, Uh, it's Deborah Winger with a bird stuck to her head. Every time I'm in a car and I start naming things that I see out the window... I you always think about William Hickey in that. I always think about that as just like, oh, is is my mind going? Like, am I just turning into <laughs> William Hickey and forget Paris? Laundry World. Edge Tropical Aquarium. Mattress City. Donuts, donuts, donuts. Mr. Sedge Tuxedo. Six Guys from Greece. Authentic. Greek food. <laughs> what a great movie. <laughs> oh my God. That has James L. Brooks energy. It's not a James L. Brooks movie. It's not a Nora Ephron movie. I'm pretty sure Billy Crystal directed it. He didn't direct it. God, who did direct Forget Paris? Um, maybe he did. Hold on. Was that his follow up to City Slickers? Don't have a hand me for No, he didn't direct City Slickers. He directed. Uh, uh, very quotable movie. Incredibly night. quotable movie. Look how much a line weighs. He did direct it. You're totally right. And he wrote it with Lowell Gans and Bob Lou Mandel, who are like the, the screenwriting tandem for all. If you have an early 90s movie that you like and watch a ton, and you're like, I wonder who wrote that movie. It's Lowell Gans and Bob Lou Mandel. All right. Um, highly recommend. Who do you have for me? Oh, oh, right. <laughs> so um, I also went down the road of James L. Brooks' leading performers, and uh, the movie we all decide not to talk about is I'll Do Anything, and the lead of that movie is Nick Nolte, and we've never done Nick Nolte, so... Mr. Nick Nolte. Give it a go. Three Oscar nominations. I can't imagine all of them are there, but Prince of Tides surely has to be. The Prince of Tides. Prince of Tides. Can you picture no, the poster between... for the Prince of Tides the same way I can? Uh, Nolte and uh, with an arm over Barbara as they're lying in bed yeah. together, but like superimposed over a a, glo- a golden uh, Carolina lake. skyline. No, it's a golden lake. Like it's it's like a lake at like sunset with a dock. Oh right, right, right. Um, okay, so Affliction and uh, Warrior. Listen, a lot of people really like Warrior. So I'm going to guess Warrior. Yes, Warrior. It's there. Okay, good. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm just emboldened by doing by getting the first two correct, but I'm going to say Affliction. Affliction, you are 3 for there 3. We go. Now it comes down to this. So, maybe a perfect score. Nick Nolte and Rachel getting married or is Nick Nolte and Forget Paris? Who knows? Who's who's going to guess? <laughs> I'm almost inclined to say blue chips, but I don't think people remember that blue chips exists. Blue chips, a movie directed by William Friedkin, starring Shaquille O'Neal, yeah. oh, and yeah. no one talks about it. No one talks about um, it. It could also just be something more recent. I I feel like it probably is going to be something recent. It's not going to be something like Three Fugitives. Can I tell you how many times I rented Three Fugitives from the video store when I was a little kid? Us too! Us too! Yeah, a lot. 
All um, we were very big Martin Short fans back then. Like Three Amigos, yeah. Three Fugitives, uh, Inner Space, Pure Luck. Do you remember Pure Luck? A terrible movie. I do remember Pure Luck? Captain Ron. We got all the Martin Shorts. We loved we Captain Ron. Yeah, Captain Ron's great. Um. Okay. Okay. Nick Nolte. Yes. Is it, do I think Blue Chips is there, or do I just want to seem cool that I would guess Blue Chips? It's a pertinent question. What was his other, like, romantic role? Former People's Sexiest Man of the Year, Nick Nolte. Mm -hmm. Sexiest Man Alive. All of the alive people, all in the world. And he was the sexiest. Uh, listen, I mean, you watch Prince of Tides once and you'll agree. He's pretty hot in that movie. Yeah. Um, ugh, I don't think it's them, but like maybe I'll get the hints. I'll say blue chips. Not blue chips. Not blue chips. I know. Um, then fine. I'll say three fugitives. Why not? Not three fugitives. I just want my year. All right. Your year is 1998. Okay, so this is after the Affliction nomination. No, it's the same year as Affliction. Is Aff- Affliction's 90... No, it's 98. It's 98. It's listed because... as 97 here on IMDb because it was, uh, I imagine... A festival a movie. A festival movie, but, but yeah. He was the frontrunner yes. before um, Benini. Him and McKellen were the frontrunners, and then Benini yeah. came and ruined everything. Nick Nolte was enough of a frontrunner that... Basically, he got James Coburn nominated and then and won. won. Yes, because like Coburn came out of nowhere to win. Mm-hmm. Um, people realized, oh, we've never given this guy one. Sure. Meanwhile, right? that was Ed Harris's never last one. best chance to win, and yeah, Ed Harris yeah. now maybe will never win an Oscar. Was he in like a Woody Allen movie, The Year of Affliction? God, Nick Nolte in it's... a Woody Allen movie would be really something um, weird. Yeah. What was oh, well, especially in Woody Allen's nineteen ninety eight movie because his ninety eight movie I'm pretty sure was Celebrity. Um, oh no, no, no! It's the Thin Red Line. It is the Thin Red Line. It's the th- that's I should have known. He's that. very I good should've. in the Thin Red Line. I think I would have put him on my supporting actor ballot. I think he's on my everyone's good in the, that's an incredible movie. Well, I would have nominated Nolte and I would have nominated Zimmer, and those are probably the two nominations I would give for the Thin Red Line. But we're not going to fight at the end of an episode. No, and also. I haven't seen The Thin Red Line since I was 20 years old, so like I don't have a sophisticated opinion on that movie, except for the first time I saw it, it again. I was like, watch oh, it. I hate this! I fucking hate this so much. Um, I should probably see it again. Although I, you should watch it again. I have no. watched Malick movies as, an, as a fully formed adult with, with brain cells, and he's maybe just not... I get why people like The Tree of Life, but I am not... He makes wavelength movies. You got to get on the wavelength. And if you can't, you can't. Yeah. Anyway, we both went a quick three for three, and then it all fell apart. Here's the one I'm surprised isn't on Nolte's is 48 Hours, because like people still talk yeah. about that movie. And Th- that's like a franchise, super successful movie that we just don't talk about at all as a culture. And I think it's oh, probably I think, because... I think people talk about 48 Hours a good bit, honestly. like I don't ever see it and i wonder if it's because straight you know, people those talk movies about were it, so though. successful because of eddie murphy and when you talk about eddie murphy yeah you talk about a bunch of other movies yeah 
Um, the other romantic movie you're thinking of is Afterglow, which he was not nominated for, but Julie Christie was. Julie Christie was. Um, I'm trying to think of other, uh, like Lorenzo Zoil. I, you know, you know my high sure, opinion of Lorenzo sure. Zoil. Cape Fear. Um, oh, duh! I could have guessed Cape you Fear. Could've, you but... could have. Said you guessed Three Fugitives. 1989. Why not? Who directed? <laughs> is that like a Frank Oz movie? Who directed Three Fugitives? Francis Weber. Billy Crystal. <laughs> That's a poster I remember. Do you remember that poster? Yeah, it's, the purple. Is Nolte uh, holding Martin Short in his arms and then Martin Short with the kid. So it's like a like a triple stack of, of uh, uh, holding people. Three it minutes. lets you know that's a kooky movie. It is a kooky movie. Um, all right. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. That is our episode. If you want more of This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz, our Instagram at this had Oscar buzz, and our Patreon at patreon.com slash this had Oscar buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. I'm on your socials, your various socials, uh, including Blue Sky, Letterboxd, what have you, at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance, Taylor Cole for our theme music. Please remember you can rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with everything. With with with, with Why didn't I take out that part? What did I usually say there? A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility with visibility i took out that whole part of the sentence that's crazy uh anyway rescue me from this little cul-de-sac of failure that i'm on and take a break from trying to buy the affections of your housekeeper's kid and write something nice about us that is all for this week but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz.